Uh, I've been muted. <laughs> I've been going on and on about what our agenda is here, Jay, and uh, let me start all over. This is Monday night, June the 29th, and we are on air for Fan for Racing Radio for our Chicago NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topics Sound Off. In our first half hour, we are going to start with some short track news, and then we'll preview the ARCA West Series race out at Irwindale Speedway, along with some ARCA Menard Series and ARCA East Series updates. At the top of the hour, we are going to comment on the media interview by Michael McDowell earlier this week. He's the driver of the number 34 Front Row Motorsports Board and one of the few drivers in the field this weekend that does have some street race experience. So uh, looking forward to that. Afterward, we'll give you a few updates from the NASCAR Truck Series, and we'll get right into the inaugural NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series Chicago Street Races this weekend in downtown Chicago. Then, of course, stay tuned for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with the Pamper Racing crew. And so far, Jay, it looks on social media as though everything has been pretty darn exciting in downtown Chicago so far. Well, that's that's the thing, Sharon, and that's what uh, shows you what kind of start to the show we got going here. We really don't know because this is so new um, with from NASCAR side of doing a street race. But the environment around it, most certainly, and I know we got somebody coming to talk about that this weekend. I've already seen some of his pictures. Uh, uh-huh. it, the excitement and the response, most certainly. We'll see how the race comes out. And again, first time, make sure that we keep an open mind to that of can it be done again better, improvements made. So uh, I know you're one that's on that fence of that. Uh, you know, we had to go through it with the uh, Bristol Dirt Race. That developed, uh-huh. so I think you got to look at that when we do look at no matter how this weekend turns out. But you're right. Uh, listening to the Sirius XM today, the atmosphere there is just off the chart. It is. It really is. And uh, we do have a special guest that will be joining us as we bridge from the preview show over to Hot Topics. And uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with him. We've got an announcement to make tonight, so I won't steal his thunder right now. Uh, but just know that we will have a guest uh, coming on uh, during that bridge time. So let's get right into it, the short track news um, and uh, we've got quite a bit of it. We'll start with the dirt sprint cars. I guess uh, in the world of outlaws, uh, Kyle Larson returned uh, and delivered a night uh, one win at Hooset Speedway, and Alex Knighton writes about that over at the World of Outlaws. But there was another victory that night, too, on night two. That's right. That's James McFadden as he followed up with a victory on night number two, rebounding from the tough open there to bring Roth Motorsports to the front of the field. Again, also covered by Alex Neaton. does a lot there at worldoutlaws.com. He does. He also writes about uh, Logan Schuchart. He stood tall on the final prelim night, putting himself and shark racing into prime position for Saturday success. So uh, Knighton's got a lot of uh, articles over here, uh, and I'll let uh, Jay wrap it up. Well, the final one he covers there is the ending, and that was David Gravel that took the high bank national, scoring a record $250,000 purse 
in the process. So some great racing, a lot of different winners, but as you see, the cream rises to the top, and David Gravel is one of them. Okay. I'm going to move over to the World of Outlaws uh, Late Model Series. Uh, Brandon Shepard and Bobby Pierce kicked off the weekend with a preliminary outlaw victory in the 81 Speedway. Mark Warren writes about that one over at theworldofoutlaws.com. Well, and he also covered this man. I got to interview him once. It was Dennis Herb Jr. that got the final laugh, if you will, scoring his first World Outlaw win in 2023, and that was at the Wichita Late Model Showdown. Okay, and in the world, uh, uh, Lucas Oil Late Model uh, 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 Series, Ricky Thornton and Mac Blair won a pair on Friday night features for the Lucas Oil Series at Lernerville Speedway. But Thornton uh, wasn't done. No, he followed that up with a big $50,000 win in the Firecracker 100 uh, the following night. And just because I know the area, I know the Luke or the sorry World of Outlaw Late Models had to reschedule. I believe they're running tonight at Red River Valley Raceway in Fargo, North Dakota. They had some weather issues early in the week. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, but uh, you can read about those last two races we talked about over at LucasDirt.com. Uh, and I think I copied, double copied something there. We'll move over to short tracks. If you want to kick this off. All right. For the NWMT, Ron Silk has accomplished a lot in that NASCAR wheel and modified tour, Uh, but he did something new this week, and that was win a race at Riverhead Raceway. You can check that out on NASCAR.com, covered by Brandon White. And in the Penty series, Trayton Lapsovich kept his solid year rolling. He scored his third win of the season at Eastbound International Speedway and extends his NASCAR Penty Series points lead. Matt Weaver writes about that over at Short Track Scene. And on USAC Media, there we got Richie Murray covering Cody Swanson. He did what he does best. And that's adding to his record a USAC Silver Crown Series win total. And that was at Madison International Speedway. And you hear us talk about these writers that we cover from many different sites. Check them out. I mean, they put a lot into covering the sport of racing. They, they really do. And uh, it, it really is fantastic, uh, all the coverage that a lot of these races get. But uh, we like to feature three different um, uh, websites, along with the ones we've already mentioned. Uh, we go to three specific websites to get uh, news on any of the short track racing that's going on, uh, starting with Racing America. Um, one of the big news, is that, news stories that came out is Riggs was disqualified from the Cars Tour at Carraway. Breyer was declared the winner. And um, you can, we're going to talk about this perhaps on our uh, uh, Hot Topic Sound Off tonight, Jay. Yeah, I saw where you had posted it for the Hot Topics. Uh, unfortunate situation. I didn't get to read all of it when it comes to the rules infraction, but I believe I'm going to have some insight as far as that a similar situation happening at the dirt tracks. So, uh, like you said, we'll talk about that. Uh, clearly had a good car from my understanding of reading it, it wasn't an advantage of the part that was wrong, 
but rules are rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people are anticipating uh, perhaps the rules change because of this. Uh, it's unfortunate for Lane Riggs, but uh, um, it is a big news story, and there is a lot more to it than what meets the eye. So I encourage people to go ahead and, and read these articles. Um, also, there's a story here, uh, the top 50 drivers in Oxford 250 history, and it gives a little bit of uh, history there of the top 50 countdown reaches the list of drivers who have won the Oxford 250. Uh, this is in advance, of course, of uh, that race coming up. So uh, you can familiarize yourself with some of the history out there. Well, and you know I like to look at some of those, some names you haven't seen or heard in a while. It brings back some memories, so always a good read when you get to read some of those uh, history articles or uh, news coverage of that. I I do like that. Um, Speaking of cars, Kyle, the Cars Tour, Kyle Larson is going to make his Cars Tour debut at Caraway. um, That was on Wednesday night. He did. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, he did. The uh, NASCAR Cup Series champion finished eighth in his debut there, driving the number five for Junior Motorsports. Where did um, Jeremy Mayfield come in there? I, uh, let's see if that has the, result, the full results under it real quick. I don't remember okay. if I saw where he finished. I know Jeremy Mayfield was in that race as well. Uh, but while you're looking for that, I'm going to talk about Rich Bickle joining Racing America's broadcast for the Slinger National. Rich Bickle is a four-time Slinger Nationals champion, and he's going to join the booth for Racing America's broadcast of the event. You can read all about it. They also over at Racing America, and they have a look at the entry list for the Slinger Nationals as well. Uh, that's coming up uh, later in uh, July here, but it's going to be a pretty exciting race. William Sawalich is on that list, Luke Fenhouse, Eric Jones, Johnny Souter, Derek Thorne, Matt Kenseth, Jason Elliott, Derek Krause, uh, a lot of names that are familiar to us, Gio Ruggiero, William Byron, Bubba Pollard, Cole Butcher, <coughs> excuse me, Connor Jones, Stephen Nassi, uh, that's my Chesky. Uh, just all kinds of names on that entry list. This is a do not miss event. Well, I didn't find it in there. It didn't give the full rundown uh, there, Sharon. So I don't know exactly where uh, Jeremy Mayfield uh, finished in that one. I'd have to look that up a little bit later. But talking about Rich Bickle, we just talked about it. Some of the historic drivers that have come through racing and rich bickle is one of them and one of the nicest guys i got to meet him down at uh, pensacola five flag speedway when i was down there for the snowball derby that's great to see him still being involved in racing as a broadcaster now there for the slinger nationals exactly brent marks i'm over at flow racing now jay brent marks beats anthony macri in Pennsylvania Speed Week Classic at Hagerstown. You can read all about that over at Flow Racing. And um, they do have the Caraway results here. Let me see if I can find out where uh, Jeremy Mayfield oh, came in. All right. Uh, no, another yeah, one there while she's looking. 30th, okay, I guess. Go ahead. He finished 30th. 
All right. Well, that's unfortunate. Again, I didn't actually get to see that or see the full results uh, other than Larson winning. Um, another one, though, that... Let me just, before you move on, there is a list here of the remaining uh, Cars Tour races uh, that are coming up. There's only one in July, three races in August, a September race, two October races, and a November race. So if you want to see that full schedule, that's over at Flow Racing. Well, and with that, I would highly recommend if you are able to, uh, I'm jealous of you, first off, if you're able to attend a Cars Tour uh, late model series race. Uh, Uh If I were able to, I certainly would. Okay. Um, And I want to encourage everybody also to go to Short Track Scene. There are all kinds of great articles over there as well. Uh, We've run out of time because we we run a really tight schedule today. But we're going to move over to... uh, the preview of the ARCA uh, West race that's going to take place out at Irwindale Speedway uh, this weekend. And let me give you the details here. Uh, That's the Napa Auto Parts Blue Death 150 presented by the West Coast Stock Car Hall of Fame this Saturday, July 1st at 7 Pacific Time. That's 10 p.m. Eastern Time, and it will be available via live streaming on Flow Racing. You can also hear radio coverage of that race over at ARCARacing.com. They'll be racing on a half-mile paved oval. They'll be racing 150 laps. On Saturday, June the 24th, they'll have a final practice from 3.30 to 4.30 Pacific time with general tire pole qualifying at 5 p.m. Pacific. Um, Again, the race starts at 10 p.m. Pacific time, and that is going to be 10, actually that's 10 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. Pacific time. The race 150 laps for a distance of 75 miles. Uh, a lot to look forward to in this race. Uh, let's go over the notes that we have, Jay. All right. The Napa Auto Parts Blue Def 150 is going to be the sixth of 12 races for the Arkham Menard Series West in 2023, and it's the second excuse me, <coughs> of the season at Irwindale Speedway. The first in April was won by Bounty Rookie Challenger contender Sean Hingarani. Okay. Uh, again, the Napa Auto Parts Blue Def 150 is set for 150 laps straight through with no scheduled cautions and no brakes. Teams will not be required to make a pit stop, and the only tire changes permitted will be for emergency tire changes only. That's a little bit different. I was just thinking the same thing, Sharon. That's going to be interesting. Uh, we've seen that. These guys got to learn tire management, and there's no... Uh, harder race to do it than when you're doing the 150 laps straight. Absolutely. Now, looking at uh, Irwindale as a whole, there's been 33 previous Arkham Menard Series West races at Irwindale Speedway, dating back to the track's inaugural season back in 1999. Yep, and Steve Portenday, he earned the first career West win in the inaugural race at Irwindale Speedway in June of 1999, his first of two victories at the half-mile bank oval. Other winners include Austin Cameron with five, Bobby Dodder with two, Joe Bean, Brendan Gaughan each have three, Scott Lynch, Andrew Myers, Brian Ickler, Jason Bowles with three, Augie Vitovich, 
Greg Persley, Patrick Staropoli, we've had them on our show, along with Chris Eggleston. Todd Gilliland has three, Trevor Huddleston, Jesse Love with three, Tanner Reif, Jake Drew, and Sean Hingarani all have wins out there at Irwindale. And quite a few of those drivers have been on our show over the years. Again, I just get that rush of nostalgia hearing some of those names hadn't heard in a while. I love that. Um, some other first-time winners, though, at Irwindale Speedway. You mentioned Augie Vidovich, uh, Patrick Starpoli, Trevor Huddleston, Tanner Reif, and then mentioned Sean Hingarani. Now, Portengay actually set the track qualifying record in the inaugural race in June of 1999 with a lap of 17.871 seconds, or 100.722 miles per hour. Talk about some records holding up over time. Brandon Gaughan holds the Irwindale Speedway race record at 88.045 miles per hour in a 250-lap race, and that was in July of 2001. So we're talking 20-year-old records there. Yes, a big one. Landon Lewis, who won at Portland International Raceway, enters Irwindale with a 12-point lead in the West Series Championship standings over two-time winner Sean Hingarani in second. Bradley Erickson is third, surpassing Phoenix winner Tyler Reif in the last round at Sonoma Raceway. Trevor Huddleston rounds out the top five. He's 38 points out of the lead. And Lewis leads that West Series with a 5.20 average finish. And that includes a 19th place finish at Sonoma. That tells you how much his other finishes uh, were up front. His other finishes are a trio of runner-up finishes. That came at Phoenix, Irwindale, and Kern County, and then the win at Portland. Uh, Bradley Erickson, he's got the second-best average finish. It's at a 5.80. All right. Two drivers are entered in attempting to make the Arkham Menard Series debut, Arkham Menard Series West debut. Um, Madera, California native Robbie Kennedy, Keneally, and Chino Hills native Jalen Mack are making their debuts this weekend. So watch for those names on the entry list. Well, we got uh, some competition, though, because 10 different drivers have led at least one lap in the West competition so far in 2023. Landon Lewis leading the most so far with 162 at the front of the field. Sean Hingrani, though, has led the second highest total so far with 100 laps led. All right, and then should the race be extended into overtime, there will be an unlimited attempt at a two-lap green-white checkered flag finish. Should the caution flag be displayed after the white flag is displayed, there will be unlimited attempts at a one-lap green and white together finish. So uh, a little bit different uh, than uh, some of the other races, so it's always good for us to get those notes. Uh, so that we know what to expect in these ARCA races at the track. Uh, going back to the website, uh, we do have an entry list, uh, the complete entry list at Irwindale Speedway. Uh, do we want to go bottom up? All right. I will start with the 05. That's going to be David Smith out of Sydney, British Columbia. He'll be driving in his cell phone team with Brandon Carlson as the crew chief of that shockwave-marring suspension seating Toyota. 
Okay, Mike Naki will crew chief this number 88 Ford uh, with Bradley Erickson behind the wheel. He hails from Phoenix, Arizona. He'll have LNS Framing Podium Club on the side of his Ford this weekend. And Brian Kennan going to be calling the shots to help out the Macs. Alicia Mack listed as the car owner of the number 83, driving by, driven by Jalen Mack, as we mentioned, from Chino Hills, California. And they'll be, he'll be wheeling the Mack Automotive Napa Auto Car Center's Roadrunner Chevrolet. Okay. Joe Nava is the crew chief for his uh, number 77 Ford, driven by Nick Joannides uh, from Northridge, California. He is driving the Jans Towing King Taco Wallace sign for this weekend. Number 17, that consists of driver Kyle Kelly out of Las Vegas, Nevada. The crew chief, uh, Brian Kizer for the Steve Bohan Ford. Sponsorship coming from KISMIF, which I don't know what it means, but it's a foundation and the Ever Ready Health and Battleborn. And that's the number seven zero card. I think I believe you said seventeen car. Um, okay, driving the number fifty five for Tim Huddleston uh, this weekend is Jake Bowman from Huntington Beach, California. He'll have High Point Racing and Race Car Factory on the side of his board, and Travis Thurkettle is his crew chief. Well, in the uh, earlier notes, we talked about Trevor Huddleston. He'll be in the number 50 for Tim Huddleston. That's a Ford crew chief by Jeff Schrader, and that's the High Point Racing Race Car Factory sponsorship. Huddleston comes out of Agora Hills, California. Dave Jackson will be on top of the uh, pit box for the Chris Loudon, number 46, driven by R.J. Smotherman from Pahrump, Nevada. He'll have Stoney's Country AF Radio on the side of his Ford this weekend. <clears throat> well, and the Loudon Ford's apparently sticking with the Jacksons as crew chiefs, as Tony Jackson will cover the number 41 Ford. Driver will be Tyler Reif out of Henderson, Nevada. There the sponsorship is Travel Nevada, Power Gen Components, and Stoney's. Okay, and Mike, Mike Nascimento will be uh, the crew chief for the Eric Nascimento uh, Toyota, uh, Nate, Ethan Nascimento will be behind the wheel of that number 21. He hails from Rapan, California. He'll have Impact Transportation, Filippos Brothers, Fab, and Paul Cardoso on the side of his Toyota this weekend. And we got your points later. We talked about the Steve McGowan-owned Chevrolet driven by Landon Lewis out of Ocean Isle Beach, North Carolina. That's the number 17 MMI, and Richard Mason going to be calling the shots. John Camilleri is calling the shots for the Bill McAnally Chevrolet, the number 16 driven by Tanner Wright from Henderson, Nevada. He'll have Napa Auto Car on the side of that Toyota. And Kevin Reed Jr. doing a great job leading the Bill Venturini number 15 Toyota with Sean Hingrani as the driver. Sponsorship coming from Mobile One and Hingrani coming out of Newport Beach, California. From Aromas, California is Todd Souza. He'll be driving that number 13 Souza Ford uh, with Michael Munoz on top of the pit box. 
And uh, his sponsor this week is Central Coast Cabinets. One from our international flavor out of Nagoya, Hichi, Japan, Takuma Kobaga in that number seven, Jerry Pitt's own Toyota, Denny Moyer in his ear for the Rise Up machine. Another uh, Nascimento Toyota this time uh, with Eric Ma- is Eric listed as the other? No, Ethan. Eric Nascimento is going to be on top of, uh, going to be behind the wheel of the number four Toyota uh, for Impact Transport, Filippo Brothers, Fab, and Paul Cardosa as sponsors, and Ty Joyner on top of the pit box for that Nascimento Toyota. And last, Wiley X, American Swim Academy, and Cover E's are going to try and help the Robbie Keneally owned and driven machine. Number one, uh, doesn't list the manufacturer. Thomas Martin is the crew chief. Keneally coming out of Madero, California. Okay. And real quick, because we're running out of time here very quickly, uh, the next race, uh, that's the race that's happening July 1st, 10 p.m. Eastern Time at Irwindale Speedway. Uh, but we have some other races coming up here. The Arca Menard Series will be racing the Zinzer Smart Coat 150 on July 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course that will be televised on Fox Sports 1. Also, the Arkham and Art Series East, this is one we've been looking forward to, the Calypso 150 on July 15th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time out at Iowa Speedway will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So a lot to look forward to with the upcoming races here in all three series uh, for the Arkham and Arts program. Well, earlier I talked about uh, not being able to go to some cars, tours, late model races. I will tell you this again, Iowa Speedway, you want to get out to if you can, and I will testify to that, haven't gotten to go there with Sharon and Fan for Racing. Amazing facility there, Iowa Speedway. It it really is. It's a track I really miss, uh, and uh, we'll have to get back out there again one of these days. Uh, I don't know how soon I'm going to be able to go. It's probably going to be next year with the way my schedule is shaping up. Um, But uh, anyway, that is our ARCA West preview and updates, and uh, we're now going to move on. Uh, NASCAR did a media interview with Michael McDowell earlier this week. He's the driver of the number 34 Front Row Motorsports Ford, uh, the, uh, the video is about 20 minutes in length, so we're not going to be lis- able to listen to all of it. Uh, and I'm just going to play the parts where he talks about uh, the upcoming Chicago street race this weekend. He's one of the few drivers that actually have street course experience, and he'll talk a little bit about that uh, during this interview. And a lot of people I don't think are aware uh, that Michael McDowell does have that uh, street course experience. So we'll listen to that, and then Jay and I will have a few comments on the other side. All right, everyone, thanks for joining us today on our weekly Ford Zoom call. We are joined today by Michael McDowell, driver of the number 34 Chicago pneumatic compressors Ford Mustang, headed to Chicago. It's only appropriate you have the hometown sponsor, right, Michael? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, 
Yeah, we're excited about this weekend, um, having uh, Chicago Pneumatic Compressors on board uh, in the Windy City for the street street course in Chicago. Looking forward to it. Um, it's a big weekend for us. You know, there's been a you know a lot of uh, you know hype going into this weekend, and and we definitely uh, feel like this is a great opportunity for us. So it's a big weekend. All right, I know there's lots of questions out there concerning this is the inaugural street course race, so uh, we'll let everybody raise their hand uh, if you've got a question for Michael and a follow-up. Um, uh, why don't we start with Bob, and then we'll just kind of, as we go, Mike, if we have any follow-ups, we'll just kind of free flow here. So, Bob, why don't you get us started? Yeah, Michael, I'm, I'm curious, how much sim have you done? How much more do you plan to do? And how accurate do you think it actually is, considering, you know, they've had to do some repaving there? in the last several weeks? Yeah, so I, I've been able to do a fair amount of sim work um, and have some more this week as well. Uh, as far as how realistic it'll be, I'll let you know on Friday or Saturday um, after we see it and lock it. Uh, but like you said, Bob, there's you know there's been some repays and some transitions smoothed out and some um, surface you know areas that have been added and, and redone. So. Um, you know, I think that the it's probably exaggerating, probably a little bit of the worst, but we'll see. And do you? How much is it going to be? Like, I guess we talked about over the weekend, but just how much is it going to be not finding that place of being aggressive as you would be on a road course to knowing that um, you know just trying to get through the hundred laps. Yeah, I think that you're going to be aggressive. I mean, all of our races are still going to be track position, so you're going to want to make sure you're, you know, staying up front, keeping track position, doing all the things that you need to do. Uh, but at the same time, you're, you know, very narrow and surrounded by concrete barriers, and you can't make any mistakes. So um, that's what's the challenge of a street race is you got to go for it, but you, um, you know, when you take those risks, it's worth time. Um, so you got to balance when when to do that. And so, do you see this as a? I mean, we often talk about road courses being, you know, a, a a good opportunity for you. Not that say that your performance on ovals, you know, certainly has got, you know, certainly you have a shot there too. But do you see this as, you know, do you do you equate this opportunity this weekend with the with your opportunity on other road courses, or is it different? Um, I, I think that this one's a little bit higher for us. Um, you know, our road course program is solid. We've seen that over, you know, the last year and a half with this next-gen car. Um, but, you know, I, I think going to a new course that nobody has any experience on, tricky, challenging, it's going to play into the hands of uh, guys that have done races like this um, that adapt quickly. Um, you know, we are talking about the best – drivers in the world, so they're going to figure it out really fast. I, I don't think that I have a quote-unquote advantage. I just feel like my comfort level is probably a bit higher than the majority of the guys that haven't seen a street course before. So, I mean, we think about this race as a you know, race we, we need to go in to get into the playoffs, so that's what we're focused on. Okay, I'm going to end it there because they do move on to Atlanta Speedway uh, for the rest of the interview. Uh, but I want to get your thoughts about uh, what he had to say here about racing on the Chicago Street Course this weekend. 
Well, there were, there were two aspects, uh, and really uh, call it reality-based, talking about the track itself. He said he really didn't know. They've got to go out and look at it um, of what's coming. It is such an unknown. Uh, see how the track is. I know on SiriusXM they, they talked about the tires because you have no testing as far as when it comes to NASCAR, the cup level, running these stock cars on a road course or a street course. So the tire uh, wear an issue, I don't want to say issue because it's not an issue yet. The tire compound Goodyear needed to go with is an unknown because they don't have any kind of data, real data, racing data to help them make, a, make that decision. So that'll be interesting uh, a story in and of itself. When they move to whether or not he has an advantage, we know if you know Michael McDowell, his history coming from road course racing and some street course racing, I think he kind of downplayed it a little. Uh, obviously, being similar to a road course on a street course, you have that advantage. But he also said on a street course, nobody has the advantage, so it's kind of a wash. But I think he downplayed it a little bit. I think he has more of an advantage uh, than he wanted to admit there. Yeah, I would agree. And, and you know, you've got some other drivers like Jensen Button, who's raced on street courses, and there's a few other drivers as well. And uh, uh, it is interesting. Uh, I know Brian Everly wrote about Jensen Button on Fan for Racing uh, the blog and website, and if you haven't had a chance to read it, one of the comments he makes is, it's one race on the calendar. So you, that kind of puts it into perspective that um, uh, it isn't the be-all, end-all, and it's a learning process that these guys are all going to be going through. None of them have raced on the Chicago street course before, but I do think that those drivers that have raced on a street course before will at least initially, uh, if not throughout this entire race, have a little a little bit of an edge over the other drivers who have never raced a street course. So I do think that that's being underplayed a little bit. Uh, but uh, uh, this is uh, this is a big unknown for everybody, and I think we are going to see uh, maybe a surprise winner uh, that's going to come out on top at uh, at this race. And uh, like Michael McDowell said, this is an opportunity uh, for them to go after that win, and that's what they're focused on this weekend. So I don't think he's the only one that's kind of thinking that way. And uh, But I think that his uh, road course experience surely gives him a, an edge over anybody else who might be thinking along those lines. So it's going to be interesting. I know they've been practicing on the sim and everything, but uh, it is going to be a little bit different, I think, than the sim with some of the repaving and everything that they've done on that street course uh, in preparation for this weekend. Well, and I think you used a key word there, Sharon, the edge. Not necessarily an advantage, but an edge. And I say that when we look back, uh, I'll go even say 10 years, you don't see what we used to call the road course ringers anymore because the road course racing has evolved in, in NASCAR at the top level as well as throughout. So all drivers stepped up their game. But so the advantage or big advantage isn't there, but I do still think it is an edge. <coughs> Excuse me again. But he mentioned it of knowing that when to be aggressive and when not. Uh, yeah. Something that popped in my head. We know it. We've seen several drivers that seem to be real good at it. 
it's an inaugural event, you know, one-time event, inaugural event. Um, there's always that specialty to winning the first of anything. And I'm not saying drivers necessarily have that in, in their mind when they're racing, but it is a big coup to have that. And like I said, we've seen some drivers, Joey Logano right now seems to be one of them, that seems to come out on top on these inaugural events. I know back in the day, Jeff Gordon was the king of new tracks. So that's one of those that two of, I'm sure is at least subconsciously in their mind of be that first one, you know, uh, especially on such a groundbreaking uh, undertaking for NASCAR of doing a street course there in the city of Chicago. Yes, let there be no doubt this is in a historic weekend for NASCAR and the Chicago Street Race at Chicago. So if you feel like it's being hyped a lot, there's a big reason for why there is so much hype around this event. Okay, now because we have a guest coming on during that bridge time between the preview show and our Hot Topics discussion, uh, I do want to go ahead and get started on our preview part of the show. And actually, we're going to start with an update for the truck series because they are not racing this weekend. Uh, they'll be racing the O'Reilly Auto Parts 150 at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course on Saturday, July the 8th next weekend at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 starting at 1 p.m., and we'll give you more of the details next week. But we do have some notes here uh, that we can share with you, and hopefully this gets us a little bit ahead of the game here so that we have time for our guests later on, Jay. All right. Well, speaking of road courses, Mid-Ohio is a good one, and that's where the trucks will be. But first, we want to look at the Sunoco Rookie of the Year. And candidate Nick Sanchez continues to stand out. Now, although he is still seeking his first career at NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series win, driver of the number two Rev Racing Chevrolet, Nick Sanchez, has earned three poles this season, which is the most in Craftsman Truck Series. The Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidate has led a total of 224 laps so far, following behind leader Corey Heim at 342. With six top ten finishes, two of those within the top five, Sanchez continues to look, uh, looks to continue the momentum and race his way into the NASCAR Craftsman Chuck Series playoffs. So keep an eye on rookie Nick Sanchez. Okay, we're also going to look at uh, those competitors that are locked into the Craftsman Truck Series playoffs. Uh, just four races to, go, races to go in the regular season, uh, so let's take a look. Six drivers are locked in to the playoffs by virtue of winning so far this season. That includes Zane Smith at Daytona and Coda. Christian Eckes at Atlanta and Darlington, Carson Hosevar at Texas and Nashville, Corey Heim won at Martinsville, Grant Infinger at Kansas, as well as WWT Raceway down in St. Louis, and Ben Rhodes has a win at Charlotte. Uh, but there are a few drivers that are in on points, two drivers to be exact. Uh, they have a cushion of 14 points or more over that cut line. Uh, after Nashville, and that includes Thorsport Racing's Ty Majeski, 86 points above the cut line, and Matt DiBenedetto at plus 40, 14 points. Uh, and uh, so that's uh, a, a good deal for them. Um, 
that were 10 points above the cutoff and ranked ninth in the Truck Series uh, Playoff Outlook is Thorsport Racing's Matt Crafton. He's following behind the driver of the number 88 Ford is Rev Racing's Nick Sanchez, just six points on top of that cut line. Now we'll talk about those that are on the outside looking in. Uh, they want to get a win, if at all possible, when they uh, go into this mid-Ohio sports car race. Uh, the 10 drivers on the outside but still have three races turned their way into the Truck Series playoffs include Halmar Friesen, Stuart Friesen. He's 11th in the points. Six points behind him is Nick Sanchez. Then it's Tricon Garage's Tanner Gray, also six points off the final playoff spot. Following Gray and Sanchez is Chase Purdy. He's 39 points back. Then it's Jake Garcia at 63 points back. Tyler Ankrum down 72 points. Raja Karuth, 123 points down. Daniel Dye down 126 points. Haley Deegan down 130. Taylor Gray down 134. And Colby Howard one point behind him at 135 points down. Now those drivers in that last group are going to have to get a win if they want to get into the playoffs. Uh, this year but we're on a regular season title watch as well that's right now this says three races to go I believe it is is four races to go Uh, I don't know why this one says three but keeping an eye on that regular season title watch right now Corey Heim leads the point standings comes out of Tricon Garage and he continues to have a strong season as he holds the driver points lead in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. The 20-year-old is currently 16 points up on reigning NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series champion Zane Smith. A Heim's point lead began after a strong finish at North Wilkesboro, where he won stage one and finished sixth overall, which gained him a total of 48 points to jump from third into this standing lead over Ty Majeski and Zane Smith. The Georgia native has accumulated that one win at Martinsville, five top fives, and then 10 top 10 finishes. A driver of the number 11 Toyota cannot yet clinch the regular championship uh, since there are still 180 points and three wins available. Again, we'll have to look at that, whether it's three or four races it is, left. Wait, so it is got, three races. Okay. Is it down to three? Okay. Yeah, I'll cover right, it when you're done here. One. Okay. Um, so there's 180 points with the three wins available yet, clinching not a possibility. Now, front row motorsport Zane Smith is 16 points back from the points leader. He continues to stay close enough to that top spot. And although Smith had a tough stretch from Darlington to Gateway, he managed to bounce back in Nashville and finish second. The 24-year-old swept the regular season and postseason championship in 2022, Smith has accumulated two wins, five top fives, and five top ten finishes this year. Okay. There are three races left in the Truck Series, the regular season, and uh, those three races are all in July. July 8th, it's the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, July 22nd, Pocono Raceway, and July 29th out at Richmond Raceway is the last race of their regular season. Then their playoffs begin with the round of 10 on August the 11th at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. So uh, they'll finish up their season in July and start their playoffs in August. 
on three three very different tracks. You talk about a road course, a Pocono Triangle, which is a track all by itself, and then a short track, a Richmond Raceway. Good stretch to finish the season. It is indeed. Okay, now they're going to, the Trek Series prepares to race at Mid-Ohio Sports Car. For the second time in series history, the Craftsman Truck Series will get ready for the O'Reilly Parts 150 uh, at Mid-Ohio next week. Uh, the Mid-Ohio Sports Car course has hosted eight Xfinity Series races up until last year when the Truck Series took their place. Um, the 2.26-mile 13-turn layout will act as the last road course race on the Truck Series schedule this season. Uh, The track opened in 1962 inside the limits of Lexington, and the track is set directly between Cleveland and Columbus. The facility hosts a road course with two different configurations, a 2.4-mile 15-turn circuit or the 2.26-mile 13-turn laid out with the latter being what the truck series will run on. Now, sitting on the 380 acres of land, the track is often touted as the most competitive in the U.S. and currently plays host to IMSA and the NTT IndyCar Series. Now the Arkham Menard Series and the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series will race their events on this mid-Ohio sports car course. So a lot to look forward to with that race. Speaking of competitive tracks, how about a competitive driver as Carson Hosevar's determination earns him his second victory after a late restart there at Nashville. After taking the lead with 40 laps remaining at Nashville Speedway, Nice Motorsports' Carson Hosevar managed to fend off every challenge necessary to secure his second career victory. And that included holding off reigning Craftsman Truck Series champion Front Row Motorsports' Zane Smith as well as Friday's pole setter, Nick Sanchez, from Rev Racing. During that late restart with three laps remaining, it was a tightly contested final push towards the finish line among the trio, but ultimately, Hosevar prevailed by 0.271 second margin. Smith finished second, while Sanchez came home third. The victory for the 20-year-old driver, the number 42 Nice Motorsport Chevrolet, makes him the fourth multi-race winner of the season. And on top of that, the Michigan native continues his impressive streak, five consecutive top five finishes, which is the longest of his career. Hosevar not only went home with that one-of-a-kind Gibson Les Paul guitar, but also, on top of that, earned $50,000 as part of the Craftsman Truck Series Triple Triple Truck Challenge. Uh, the three-race program that gives drivers an opportunity to win up to $500,000 in bonus money. The young driver, though, joined Ben Rhodes, who picked up the victory at Charlotte, and Grant Infinger at Worldwide Technology Raceway as the three recipients of the bonus money this season, and that continued a four-year streak in which no driver has been able to win all three of the Triple Truck Challenge Series in one season. Okay, that completes our update for the Craftsman Truck Series. We're now going to go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series uh, and uh, do our preview of the inaugural street race for the Xfinity Series uh, weekend. So they'll race the Loop 121 Chicago Street Race on Saturday, July the 1st 
at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on USA at starting at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, along with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll race the distance of that 121 miles over 55 laps. Stage 1 and Stage 2 are 15 laps each. Stage 1, of course, ends on lap 15. Stage 2 on lap 30. And then the final stage is another 25 laps, ending on lap 55. So what do we have here in the Xfinity Series, Jay? Well, we're here. We're going to update the Xfinity Series Sunoco Rookie of the Year. And they've got the competition now have 15 races under their belt as they gear up for that inaugural Loop 121 on the Chicago Street Race. Start with College Racing's Chandler Smith as he continues to lead the competition. He's got one victory coming at Richmond, and then four top fives and six top tens for a total of 465 points. Uh, not hard behind him, though, that's Joe Gibbs Racing's Sammy Smith, who has racked up the one win as well, that one coming at Phoenix. He's also got three top fives and six top tens as well for a total of 395 points. Jordan Anderson Racing's Parker Retzlaff has posted one top five and four top tens this season. So far, is sitting at 293 points. Could see a victory from him at any point, though. And then closing out the competition, we got Blaine Perkins right now sitting with 106 points. All right, let's take a look at the playoff bubble in the Xfinity Series. Five spots are still up for grabs. As the series gears up from some street course action this weekend, seven full-time drivers have won in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, leaving just five spots available in the 12-driver postseason field. Now, drivers that have secured their spots into the playoffs by virtue of wins include John Hunter Nemechek, Austin Hill, Justin Algauer, Cole Custer, Chandler Smith, Sammy Smith, and Jeb Burton. The five drivers that currently hold the remaining playoff spots on points include Josh Berry at 470 points, Sam Mayer has 429 points, Sheldon Creed at 419, Riley Earps at 316 points, and Daniel Hemrick at 399 points. All right, just outside the cut line is Parker Kligerman. I think that's Daniel Hemrick has 299 points. Just outside the cut line is Parker Kligerman with 371 points. Brandon Jones at 348 points, uh, who has made his six Xfinity playoff appearances, second only to Justin Aldauer, who has seven playoff appearances. So it's going to be interesting, any one of those drivers uh, that don't already have a spot secured in the playoffs could get a win and get in. So we'll be watching for that this weekend on the Chicago Street Race. Well, and it certainly could lead to what we're talking about next, and that's rotating through victory lane. The NASCAR Xfinity Series was riding a streak of 11 different winners that started in week five at Atlanta until A.J. Allmendinger, who had snagged a win in Coda, or a win in week six at Coda, snapped that streak after he took the checkered flag at Nashville Super Speedway last weekend. The longest streak of different winners in the series is 13, 
That was set back in 1988. Just a real quick look at that. It involved, uh, let's see, starting at Daytona, Bobby Allison. Hickory was Mike Alexander. Rockingham, Mark Martin. Jimmy Hensley at Martinsville. Lodine at Darlington. Dale Earnhardt at Bristol. Tommy Ellis at Hampton, Virginia. Rick Mass at Nazareth. We just talked about that on Hot Topics. Larry Pearson at South Boston. The Daryl Waltrip at the Nashville Fairgrounds. Another one we talked about in Hot Topics. Dale Jarrett picked up the win at Charlotte. Bobby Hillen Jr. at Dover. And Tommy Houston at Rougemont. Uh, so this could start a new streak. The most winners, though, in the Xfinity Series has seen in a full season is at 18, which occurred there in the 1988 season as well as 2017, while the fewest is nine, which came in 2020, just a few years ago. Thus, This season thus far, the Xfinity Series sits at 11. I think we mentioned all these, but I'll run through them. Austin Hill, John Hunter Nemechek, Sammy Smith, A.J. Allmendinger, Chandler Smith, Jeb Burton, Ryan Truex, Kyle Larson, Justin Algar, Cole Custer, and Eric Almarola. So we're kind of right in the middle. I don't know if we'll break the record of the most, but we're not at the least. Okay. Well, we're not short on first-time winners this year. The Xfinity Series season has been exciting. It has been action-packed, which has led to some of the first-time winners in Victor Lane. With an unpredictable track like the Chicago Street Race this weekend, uh, I think there's probably a good chance we could see another first-arm winner. Now, rookie Sammy Smith, who drives the number 18 Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing, posted his first Xfinity Series career win earlier this season at Phoenix Raceway. He's doing quite well in his first full-time season in the series. He's accumulated one win, three top five, and six top ten finishes so far. Although he didn't perform as he had hoped on the road course at Portland, uh, a few weeks ago he did well at Coda, uh, finishing in fourth place, and at Sonoma he finished in ninth. Another rookie who has managed to post a win this season is driver of the number 16 Colleg Racing Chevrolet, Chandler Smith. His race came, his win came at Richmond Raceway after coming close just a few weeks prior at Las Vegas Motor Speedway with a third-place finish. Smith currently leads the Sunoco Rookie of the Year class with his 465 points. He's posted one win, four top fives, six top tens, and he's led 279 laps this season. On the other road courses, he's posted a 12th-place finish at Coda, a 9th-place finish at Portland, and a 14th place at Sonoma. Ryan Truex, who's not entered in this weekend's The Loop 121, also posted his first Xfinity Series career win this season at Dover Motor Speedway. He drove a part-time schedule for Joe Gibbs Racing behind the wheel of the number 19 Toyota. Truex's Xfinity Series career began in 2010, and in total he's made 90 starts. He has one win, eight top fives, and 30 top 10 finishes. Pretty impressive. Well, and we'll see who comes out on top there. I'm going to change this next headline just a little bit as it's time as NASCAR blows into the Windy City. (laughs) It's one of the most anticipated race weekends in recent memory, and it's finally here. 
as the NASCAR Xfinity Series drivers are loading up their cars and get ready to zoom through the streets of downtown Chicago for the inaugural Loop 121. That'll be Saturday, July 1st, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. It'll be covered on USA Network, MRN, and Sirius XM Radio. Now, although this weekend's race in the Windy City is the first of its kind, it's not the first time the Xfinity Series has made left and right turns and some drivers are ready to take on that new street course challenge. There are four active drivers entered into the Loop 121 that have road course wins under their belts. Those include Justin Algar, Cole Custer, Jeremy Clement, and Justin Marks. That's a story by itself. Uh, Algar is driver of the number seven junior motorsport Chevrolet, leads the field with most road course wins at three. Uh, he's got victories at Circuit Jill and Venue 2012, Mid-Ohio, and Road America in 2018. The Riverton, Illinois native heads into this weekend with plenty of momentum, having already posted one win coming at Charlotte, eight top fives, 10 top tens, and 197 laps led on the season. He's also put up an impressive finishes uh, on other road courses this season, including a fifth place at Coda, the Circuit of America, runner-up at Portland, and then seventh out at Sonoma. The veteran driver, Algar, no stranger to winning in Chicago either, as he's already made the trip to victory lane twice at Chicagoland Speedway, coming in 2011 and again in 2017. When we look at Cole Custer, he drives the number double zero for Stuart Haas Racing. He posted his first road course win earlier this season at Portland International Speed, or, I'm sorry, Portland International Raceway. The 25-year-old also comes into the Loop 121 with a string of solid finishes this season, with one win, six top fives, ten top tens, and 140 laps led. Now, like Algar, Custer has some familiarity with winning in the Chicago area. He's also taken the checkered flag at Chicagoland Speedway just back in 2019. I'm Jeremy Clements, driver of the number 51 cell phone, Jeremy Clements Racing Chevrolet. He posted his lone road course win at Road America back in 2017. On road courses this season, he's posted a 14th place finish at Coda, 22nd at Portland, and 17th at Sonoma. And the last one, a very unique story, it's Trackhouse Racing's team owner right now, a team owner, Justin Marks, but he's joining into the NASCAR Xfinity Series Fund this weekend, getting behind the wheel of the number 10 Chevrolet for college racing. Now, although Marks hasn't run a, an Xfinity Series race since 2018, he has an edge as he knows what it takes to win on a track that turns left and right. Mark's win came in 2016 when he sagged the checkered flag at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. Okay, we're going to move on now to the Cup Series uh, Chicago Street Race. They'll be racing the Grant Park 220 at Chicago in Sunday, July the 2nd at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. At 5 p.m., NBC will start their pre-race coverage along with MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing 100 laps to cover a distance of 220 miles. Uh, first stage is 20 miles or 20 laps, ending on lap 20. Stage 2, 25 miles, ending on lap 
45, and the last stage is 55 laps, ending on lap 100. So uh, let's go to our notes here for the Truck uh, Cup Series. Well, as you can expect, there's got a lot going on with this race, and we got the Uniting Voices Chicago is going to sing the national anthem for that inaugural Grant Park 220 NASCAR Cup Series Chicago Street Race. The NASCAR Chicago Street Race announced that it will feature Uniting Uniting Voices Chicago, which was formerly Chicago Children's Choir, uh, singing the national anthem for Sunday's Grant 220 at that inaugural Chicago Street Race. That'll include... The Uniting Voices Chicago will include more than 30 local performers as part of the national anthem prior to the start of the first ever NASCAR Cup Series street race. And that'll be nationally broadcast on NBC Sunday, July 2nd. That'll be 4.30 p.m. Central Time. A little information here. It was founded in 1956 and inspired by the civil rights movement. Uniting Voices Chicago is rooted in the belief that music is the most powerful vehicle for fostering mutual understanding and respect between young people of all races, ethnicities, socioeconomic backgrounds, religions, and gender identifications, as well as sexual orientations. Since its founding, Uniting Voices has grown from a single choir into an internationally renowned network of in-school and after-school programs that serve thousands of students from every zip code of the city of Chicago each year. Uniting Voices Chicago offers a performance-based learning experience that includes innovative creative partnerships and artistic endeavors, from regular appearances at the Lyric Opera and Ravina Festival to features on high-caliber recording projects such as Chance the Rapper's Coloring Book and The Big Day. Okay, Uh, now NASCAR also announced that Chevrolet, Ford, and Toyota named official pace cars for the Chicago Street Race, Uh, and that's a multi-year partnership on the official pace cars for the Chicago Land Speed Race Street Race Weekend. Uh, with the sports partner OEM Chevrolet, Ford, and Toyota as part of the partnership, each OEM will have an opportunity to lead the field to green in both the Xfinity and the Cup Series race. So the order for the official pace car will be determined by the Cup Series qualifying results, results with the pole-winning OEM leading the field to green to start each race. So future restarts will rotate with each OEM leading the race field. In subsequent years of the Chicago Street Race, the second OEM will lead first in 2024, and the third OEM will lead first in 2025. Leading up to the Chicago Street Race, Chevrolet Camaro, Ford Mustang, and Toyota Camry promotional cars will be in market to support the inaugural event. The promotional cars will make appearance at many regional events across the greater Chicagoland region to showcase the Chicago Street Race Weekend. The official pace cars for the weekend will include the 2023 Chevrolet Camaro ZL1, a 
2024 Ford Mustang GT and the 2023 Toyota Camry TRD. I've heard that these cars are all over the place in that Chicagoland area, so it's really neat to see that happening. Uh, and that's a, a really unique program they got going there. Uh, as mentioned, this being such an event, we got NASCAR selects leading Chicago artists that have designed the Chicago Street Race Weekend Trophies. NASCAR announced that it will feature two fixtures of the Chicago arts community, Thomas Lucas and Nicole Beck, as the official trophy designers for the inaugural NASCAR Chicago Street Race this summer. Um, based in the Tri-Taylor neighborhood of Chicago, Beckel designed the trophy for the Loop 121 NASCAR Xfinity Series race, while Lucas will design the prize of the NASCAR Cup Series race, the Grant Park 220. And that'll be from his studio in Ravenswood. Ravenswood. Both yeah. artists. Raven, okay. Ravenswood. Um, both artists are alumni of the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and are recognized as two of the most prominent names in the Chicago arts community. Lucas, who will design the Cup Series Grant Park 220 trophy, is a protege of sculpture icon Richard Hunt, one of, if not the, foremost African-American abstract sculptors of all time. But for Lucas, a tenured professor at Chicago State University, who has designed acclaimed public installations for the Chicago Transit Authority and the Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, um, designing this trophy is a personal labor of love. Now for Beck, whose brother competed in motorsports, this is an opportunity to weave the story of Chicago together in with her family's passion for racing. Beck's art can be found at numerous public installations throughout Chicago's Lakeview, Lincoln Park, and West Town neighborhoods, as well as commissions at the University of Illinois Urbana uh, Champaign and in downtown Elmhurst. In keeping with the uh, local connection, both trophies will be fabricated in the city by Chicago-based artisans. Lucas's Cup Series trophy will be designed and cast in Chicago's Ravenswood and North, uh, North Lawndale neighborhoods, while Beck's Xfinity Series trophy will be partly fabricated at Vector Custom Fabricating on Fulton Street and then partially in her own metal shop. Yeah, I'm very familiar with uh, that Ravenswood neighborhood and the art studio that they talked about there. Uh, really cool to see that happening. Uh, NASCAR is also partnering with After School Matters to create 200-foot mural painted by local teens for the inaugural street race weekend. So uh, they're working with local teens to create an official Chicago street race mural mural that will be featured on the race weekend in Grant Park. At an event with the Wood Brothers Racing's Harrison Burton, the young artists showcased their work and had an opportunity to paint with the Cup Series star at an after-school matters at Gately Park in Chicago's Pullman neighborhood. The artwork for the 200-foot 50-panel NASCAR-themed mural began in February and will be showcased in Butler Field, which will be free and open to the public during the race weekend. Uh, so, After School Matters is a non 
nonprofit organization that provides life-changing after-school and summer program opportunities for nearly 19,000 Chicago high school teens each year. The joint event with NASCAR was held at the After School Matters facility in Gately Park, which opened in 21 on the city's far south side. The teen-centric facility is a wing of the Gately Park Fieldhouse operated by the Chicago Park District and serves up to 1,500 young people each year from the Pullman and Roseland communities. The partnership is the latest example of NASCAR's continued and long-lasting commitment to the Chicago community. To date, NASCAR has already announced long-term partnerships with the Boys and Girls Club of America, Chicago Public Schools, the Art Institute of Chicago, and All Kids Bike and the Field Museum. So you can go to afterschoolmatters.org in order to get more information. Last under the random notes here, uh, Button and Van Gisbergen among the new faces in the garage attempting the Chicago street race. NASCAR is bringing an international flair to the Chicago street race with the Grant Park 220 as drivers from around the world will compete in this inaugural event in downtown Chicago. Not only will Trackhouse Racing uh, have NASCAR Cup Series regular Daniel Suarez, from Monterey, Mexico, piloting the number 99 Chevrolet this weekend, but the organization will also field the third car, the Project 91 entry, and have New Zealand native and three-time Supercars champion Shane Van Gisenberger behind the wheel. Now, this will be Gisenberg's first attempt at a NASCAR event. And Trackhouse Racing debuted the number 91 car with Formula former Formula One champion Kimi Rakinen, Rakinen, uh at Watkins Glen. He finished 37th after he was collected in an incident, unfortunately. Rakinen returned to the car, run the team, run for the team at the Circuit of Americas this season, where he finished 29th. So Chicago will mark the third race for that Project 91 car. Now, also returning to the NASCAR Cup Series after making his series debut at Austin earlier this season, Formula former Formula One champion Jensen Button, he'll pilot the number 15 Ford for Rick Ware Racing. Button is a native of Frome, England. In his Cup Series debut at Coda, Button started 24th and finished 18th. Okay. Uh, There are some road course aces, uh, NASCAR's best in road racing, that are going to be on track this weekend. Though this weekend's race is technically on a street course and not a road course, a similar approach to being successful this Sunday will apply. Now, NASCAR's active road course wins leader includes uh, Hendrick Motorsports' Chase Elliott as he heads into this weekend looking for his first win of the season. He's already considered one of the early favorites for the weekend. But the most recent winner on a road course is the series and current uh, points leader, Martin Truex Jr. He'll most certainly be in the mix as well. So uh, Chase Elliott leads all drivers with seven road course wins. Then it's Martin Truex with five. Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson both have four. Tyler Reddick has three. Kevin Harvick, A.J. Allmendinger, Christopher Bell, they all have two road course wins. And then Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamlin, Daniel Suarez, and Ross Chastain 
all have one road course win. The Cup Series has competed on two road courses so far this season. Uh, 23-11 Racing's Tyler Reddick won in Austin at Coda, and Truex won at Sonoma. All right, the next block up we're going to look at is the playoffs, the race to the playoffs, as Chastain is the latest to lock into the postseason with a win. Trackhouse Racing's Ross Chastain became the 11th different winner to win this season, locking himself into the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs after taking the checkered flag in a dominant performance at Nashville Super Speedway last weekend. With 11 spots in the playoffs already taken and only nine races remaining until the postseason, time and space are running out for competitors to earn their spot. And look at the NASCAR playoff outlook. Drivers without a win this season. Kevin Harvick has slid down to 12, 515 points. He does have one stage win and one playoff win, 164 points above the cut line. 13th is Brad Keselowski at 450. Also got one stage win for one playoff point. He's 99 to the good. 98 to the good is Chris Buescher, 449. Also got one stage win for one playoff point. 15th, that's Bubba Wallace at 381. He's only 30 points to the good. Doesn't have any points built up. Uh, Daniel Suarez in the 16th spot at 353 is two to the good. Cut line here, real interesting. 17th, Alex Bowman only has 14 of the 17 starts. Sits at 351, is only two points out. However, he's at minus five when it comes to playoff points. Could be a factor if he makes the playoffs. Rookie Ty Gibbs, 343, is 10 back. A.J. Allmendinger, good shot at winning this weekend. 329 points is 24 out. Three more back at 326, 27 points out was our uh, interview tonight. Michael McDowell. Corey yeah, we can end at minus... there, okay. Say again? We can end it there. Okay. Uh, you can go to the holding the most comfortable yep. spot. Holding the most comfortable spot still in the playoff outlook of the drivers without a win. Mentioned Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Arvick, 164 points ahead of the playoff cut line. RFK Racing's Brad, teammates, Brad Keselowski at plus 99, and Chris Buescher, plus 98, also in good standing heading into the weekend. But it's uh, right about 2311's Bubble Wallace at plus 30 and 15th, and then Trackhouse Racing's Daniel Suarez at plus 2 and 16th that have their work cut out for them if they want to hold on to their position. And currently there's five drivers that made it into the playoffs last season that are below that postseason cut line heading into this weekend. Alex Bowman at minus two, Austin Sindrick at minus 51, Chase Elliott also down several races at minus 64, Austin Dillon at minus 106, and Chase Briscoe at minus 164. Yep, all of them will be looking for that big win this weekend. Okay, now uh, the Grant Park 220 is the 100th race in the state of Illinois. NASCAR is no stranger to the state, and this weekend the sanctioning body will host its 100th NASCAR National Series race in the Prairie State, welcoming the newly designed Chicago Street Race, the sixth different track NASCAR has competed on in Illinois. 
the first National Series race in the state of Illinois was a NASCAR Cup Series event at Santa Fe Speedway in Willow Springs, Illinois. The event was held on July 10th of 1954 and was won by Dick Rathman driving a Hudson for car owner John Ditz. Finishing runner-up in the race was NASCAR Hall of Famer Herschel McGriff, also driving a Hudson. In total, NASCAR has previous connect- previously competed on five tracks in Illinois with Chicagoland Speedway in from 2001 to 2019, hosting the most races uh, in 54 uh, races of the five facilities. Uh, other facilities include Worldwide Technology Raceway in Madison. They have uh, some races uh, the first year going back to 1997, uh, 40 combined races between the three series. Chicago Motor Speedway in Cicero had two races uh, their first year there, the year 2000. Santa Fe Speedway, we mentioned that one dating back to 1954. And Soldier Field in Chicago even hosted a race in 1956 for the NASCAR Cup Series. The weekend will also not be the first time that the Cup Series competed in downtown Chicago, uh, mentioning that race at Soldier Field in 1956. That race was won by Hall of Famer Fireball Roberts in the Pete de Paola Ford. Most recently, the Cup Series competed at Worldwide Technology Raceway uh, just uh, earlier this year. Well, and more than just racing, we got the Chainsmokers, Miranda Lambert, the Black Crows, Charlie Crockett uh, are going to headline the Chicago Street Race concerts. As fans will have a ton to do this weekend at the Chicago Street Race. NASCAR announced that the Chainsmokers and Miranda Lambert will headline full-length concerts with the support of the Black Crows and Charlie Crockett for the first-ever street race weekend in the NASCAR Cup Series uh, weekend here July 1st and 2nd. The unprecedented 12-turn, 2.2-mile street race will take the Cup Series and the Xfinity Series past and through many of Chicago's most renowned downtown landmarks as part of this two-day festival during the 4th of July weekend. On Saturday, July 1st, the street race, the Chicago Street Race will feature the Xfinity Series and Cup Series practice and qualifying, followed by the Black Crows concert. And then following the Xfinity Series race, it'll be the Chainsmokers that take stage for a full-length concert to close the first day. On Sunday, it'll be Charlie Crocker will open with Miranda Lambert headlining a full-length concert in advance of the first-ever Cup Series street race, the Grant Park 220. The Chainsmokers uh, is Alexander or Alex Paul and Andrew Drew Taggart are recognized as two of the best electronic dance musicians with diverse portfolio, portfolio of songs that led them to become one of the hottest recording artists in the world. In 2016, the duo burst onto the scene with three multi-platinum certified hits, including the Grammy-nominated song, Closer. The group has won multiple awards, including the 2017 Grammy for Best Dance Recording, Don't Let Me Down, two American Music Awards in 2016 and 17, and 10 Billboard Music Awards. The Chainsmokers' fourth studio album, So Far So Good, debuted last season at number one on the Billboard Dance and Electronic Album chart. You can check them out on Chainsmokers 
Lambert.com. Uh, Lambert is one of the country's most music, uh, music's most acclaimed performers and songwriters. Palomino, the eighth solo, solo album from Vanner Records' RCA Nashville Superstar. Lambert is the latest installment of the storied career that spans seven number one solo albums, ten number one hit radio singles, and more than 70 prestigious awards, including the Grammy Awards and a record 30... The three Grammy Awards and a record-setting 37 ACM Awards, plus countless sales, certifications, earning the reigning ACM Entertainer of the Year praise from NPRs as the most riveting country star of her generation. And you can visit her site at MirandaLambert.com. The Black Crows, they're led by brothers Chris and Rich Robinson. They released their debut album, Shake Your Moneymaker, over 30 years ago. They've been fueled by singles, Jealous Again, Twice as Hard, She Talks to Angels, and the breakthrough cover of Otis Redding's Hard to Handle, and and immediately took the rock world by storm. Black Crows has released eight studio albums, as well as four live albums, selling tens of millions of albums and selling out shows around the world. And check them out on blackcrows.com. Last one, Crockett crafts his singular golf and western sound by synthesizing country, blues, soul, Cajun, R&B, and other pieces of American roots music. And when his voice comes out of your speakers, there's no confusing him for any other artist. Crockett released his latest album, The Man from Waco, last fall, via Son of Davy, 30 Tigers. Crockett wrote and co-wrote all 14 songs on the album, which finds Crockett a refining his golf and western sound that continues to captivate his ever-growing legion of fans. And his uh, website is charliecrockett.com. Okay, and we'll cover the last segment here. I've only got about a minute. For the first time ever, the sights and sounds and speeds of NASCAR are coming to the streets of downtown Chicago, one of the most iconic cities in the world. They're going to add another chapter to its illustrious sports history when the Cup Series debuts against the backdrop of Lake Michigan and the Chicago skyline on Sunday afternoon. Lakeshore Drive, Michigan Avenue, Columbus Drive, and select surrounding thoroughfares will be transformed into that 12-turn, 2.2-mile course with the start-finish line and pit road located along South Columbus Drive directly in front of Buckingham Fountain. The course will pass through the famed Grant Park as well as approach the northern edge of Shoulder Field one of the most notable and recognizable sports venues in the country, and the site of what we talked about earlier, the first downtown uh, race uh, to take place in downtown Chicago in 1956. The street race will become the 177th different track that the Cup Series has competed on in its 75-year history. On-track action for the Cup Series will get started with practice and bush light pole qualifying on Saturday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and both events will be televised on the USA Network. So uh, we did it. We got through all of it. And now I'm very excited to bring on board our special guest, uh, Brian Everly, one of our Fan for Racing crew. Welcome to the show, Brian. 
Brian, are you there? Sharon, this is, this is Mike. I heard you unmute me as you started to intro Brian, so you may have oh, the wrong I thought, that was Brian. I thought that was Brian. Brian's supposed to be calling in here shortly, so I'll put you back on listening mode, and we'll talk to Brian. <laughs> okay, there's Brian. We're going to hey, bring him going? in. It's going great, Brian. Uh, I brought Mike into the queue thinking it was you for some reason. Uh, we're oh, real no. excited to have you on board. You are one of our Fan for Racing crew members, and we're going to do something special this weekend. Uh, and uh, I'll let you uh, take all the thunder here. All the thunder? Well, I, was, I don't know if I was prepared for all that. But, yeah, so a uh, pretty fun weekend on tab, obviously on NASCARs here in Chicago, um, maybe a little bit controversial, racing on the streets, but I think uh, Jensen Button said it best last week in the media availability when he said it's just one race on the calendar. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, but you got to applaud him for giving it a chance and taking a real big risk. And, I mean, they've seen some crazy stuff already this week. We've got the wildfires in Canada making it smell like everyone down here is burning a campfire. Um, he was in it, it was super hazy. The good news is it rained and it kind of, uh, burned a lot of that off. I think that's better. Um, it's supposed to rain on Sunday and be maybe not the most ideal July weather, but, you know, I think we'll get through that as well. Um, a lot of great fan activities leading up to it. I'm actually standing in left field right now at Wrigley Field for NASCAR night. Um, about the only thing not going well right now is the Cubs are down 3-1 to one on the top of the eighth. However, uh, good old Kyle Schwarber did get that first run with a leadoff home run, so that does make my like, Kyle Schwarber Cubs-loving heart happy. Okay. Now, one of the things we're doing that's going to be uh, so special about this weekend, because make no doubt about it, this is a historic weekend for NASCAR with the Chicago street races uh, that are taking place. And there is a lot of hype. We're seeing a lot on social media about everything that's going on down there. But what we decided to do here at FAMPA Racing is Brian's going to uh, put together a live blog as he makes his way through the streets of Chicago uh, for this uh, historic weekend and inaugural uh, Chicago Street Race. So um, uh, we're looking forward to that. What have you done so far, Brian? Yeah, so, so you far, uh, last this. Friday night was um, NASCAR night at um, Comiskey Park, um, as I still call it, but U.S. Cellular Field. Um, so Ray Everham actually threw out the first pitch there, and they had a couple of NASCAR fan sections. Um, that was a really good time. I actually got to meet Ray Everham and chat with him for a few minutes. Um, we had a, a really fun time down there, talk with some other NASCAR fans. A couple of them were actually in town going to the, the NASCAR night there. Saturday morning they were driving down to Nashville, staying with some friends to go to the race there, then driving back here to go to the race here and go to the Cubs game tonight, and then driving to, like, a couple other races on the schedule. So, Definitely uh, some awesome people that you meet along the way when you come to these NASCAR-type things and racing things, and that was super fun. We had a good time on Friday night um, at Comiskey. Um, unfortunately, the White Sox lost. Um, bit of a bummer. It looks like the Cubs are about to do the same here tonight. Um, and then on Tuesday, they had a NASCAR event down at Navy Pier. Um, unfortunately, it was, as I said, super smoky with the Canadian wildfires kind of affecting things, but a nice event down there. They had um, the Coca-Cola iRacing Series um, weekly race there. They had a guy actually racing live from there in his sim, and I think the coolest part of that is they had about 10 of the iRacing rigs there, and you got to actually run the Chicago street course, and let me tell you, it was even more difficult than I would expect. It's super bumpy, 
super tight corners, and I don't think I watched one person go around that track other than the, the professional guy that didn't turn spin out two, three, four times. So definitely a lot harder, I think, than anyone thinks. Um, so that was entertaining, and they had a couple of show cars there, the uh, championship trophies as well. So a nice little event. I think, uh, unfortunately, it would have been better if attended if it wasn't so gross outside, and they were literally telling everyone to stay inside. But So that was Tuesday. Um, yesterday, I actually went, and uh, Josh Balicki was doing um, some appearances at Ziegler Chevrolet. So that's his sponsor this weekend. He actually kind of did – he's from Wisconsin. I don't know if you guys know that, but he's from Wisconsin. He did a little tour kind of – uh, down the way, so he was in Racine, and then a couple of places north, the northern burbs, and then today a couple of places in the kind of the southern and western burbs um, at Ziegler Chevrolet locations. Uh, it was great to just sit there and chat with him. He's a super cool guy, down to earth, um, really fun as well. And I think, I think the thing that I've seen that we didn't see when Chicagoland was around at the end was a lot of activation, like within the market, whether it's these NASCAR nights at, at the Cell or, or Wrigley just in the local grocery stores, Brad Kozlowski had a King's Hawaiian set up. There was uh, a Cuervo tequila set up. Um, just a lot of, like, activation and excitement. I mean, I spent my first conference call at my day job today for, like, 15 minutes telling everyone kind of, like, what's going on this weekend and how it's different and how it's different than what they do every week and why people are mad about it, you know. And I've got friends that live in the city that don't like NASCAR, right, and it is going to definitely jack up the traffic. I mean, to be fair, I drove 20 miles into the city tonight, and it took me two hours and 38 minutes to go 20 miles from the Northern Burbs to Grant Park. Now, the good thing wow. is my car is staying in Grant Park until Sunday night when the racing is over. So public transportation all the way, that is totally the way to go. If, you have, if you're coming to the race and you haven't been in or around Chicago before, traffic is going to be awful. It's awful normally. The race has some streets shut down. There's just a lot going on this weekend. Obviously, it's Fourth of July weekend. The Cubs are in town for all, the whole entire weekend. And there's also some ginormous gymnastics competition going on at um, McCormick Place. I actually ran into some parents from Texas that were chatting about it. It's apparently just ginormous. There's a ton of people for that as well. So just a lot of things going on in the state. There's going to be a lot of traffic like there always is. So if you're going to drive, just leave super, super, super early. Otherwise, take the Metra, take the L, just do whatever you can, but leave early because traffic will be nasty on Sunday. I promise you that. Okay, well, thanks for that update, and uh, uh, I'm really excited about the live blog. There is a chat feature where people can ask questions or uh, make comments on anything that you're posting there, uh, but we'll definitely be looking forward uh, to watching the live blog this weekend as you make your way through the Chicago streets and the Chicago street races this weekend. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm super excited about it. Like I said, I, I don't think the racing product is going to be the best that we've ever seen, which is unfortunate, but I do. Obviously, I'm a little biased because I'm from the Chicagoland area, but I think it's super cool they're doing this. They're doing something different. Hopefully, it's going to draw in some new fans. I mean, I think I saw a stat the other day from Adam Stern that 70% of people that bought tickets here have never been to a race before, which I think is kind of crazy, which is awesome. That's huge. Um, definitely different experience than normal, um, and I've heard that people from all 50 states and 14 different countries that bought tickets as well, which I think is also pretty awesome. So I get NASCAR purists may not like the racing product we see. It may not be the best race we've seen all year. It may be a really ugly looking race. Who knows? But I do think it will be an event. It will be something different. And I like the fact that, you know, NASCAR stepped out and did something different. And I promise you there are a ton of people that have put in an insane amount of hours to make this happen. 
And I think, you know, even if you're not on board with it, I agree. Like, it sucks they took Road America away, right? Road America had two amazing cup weekends there. I love Road America. They literally built a state park. They built a racetrack inside a state park. That place is awesome. I really hope it gets a cup day back on the calendar as well at some point. Obviously, there's limited amounts of, of weekends to race, but I do think that Road America deserves a cup race as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical on how the racing's going to look on Saturday and Sunday, but I do think it's been a great event, and they've done a really nice job of promoting it within the market. Built a lot of buzz around it, and a lot of people that aren't interested in NASCAR or haven't heard of it before are at least going to maybe turn on the race and watch it this weekend. Also, shout out to, like, NBC in Chicago. They've done a really awesome job of, like, promoting this weekend, interviewing people. They had a really nice interview with uh, AJ Allmendinger last Sunday night after the NASCAR race at Nashville where they really went through and sat down with him, and he really talked about how this is different and how it's historic and just did a really nice job, obviously. You guys know AJ is an awesome, awesome dude. He's always yep. excitable. And I think that was a really good, a really good candidate as well. Leah Ramini from NBC has done a really nice job of kind of really covering the racing. Obviously, a lot of the coverage in Chicago has been how much this is going to mess up traffic and how upset local residents are. And I, I do understand that. Like, if I lived there and I didn't like NASCAR, sure, it's going to be a little bit of a tough, tough weekend to get around. But honestly, probably yeah. no worse than Lollapalooza and other big weekends that they have in Chicago as well. Like, Chicago isn't, you know. A, it's not like they haven't hosted these ginormous events before in the past. So, Yeah, this is going to be a learning experience. And just like the Bristol Dirt Race, just like North Wilkesboro, just like the race at the L.A. Coliseum, uh, there's always a learning curve. We didn't think the first Bristol Dirt Race was very good, but they learned from it, and it got better as the next two races took place there. Uh, they, they've made a commitment for three years, so this will be the learning year, uh, as I and call I'll, it, and we'll see how they make improvements uh, in the subsequent years following. I agree, and I thought when they went to the Coliseum, that was honestly a really dumb idea, and it's honestly worked out really well, and I think it's honestly perfect for the clash. I'm kind of hoping this mm. is the same, where it's perfect to do one street course race a year. They run three years here, and then maybe they pick a different city, and they go there for three years, and it's something unique. And yep. Yep. Something that kind of changes that schedule up a little bit from your standard tracks that they always go to. So I guess we'll we'll see what happens. And now, hopefully uh, now Monday night we'll all talk about how awesome it was. Yeah, that's right. Now, I hope you come. Well, we won't have a show Monday. We'll, our next show will be Thursday. But um, I do oh, have good. Mike and Andy and Jay are all here. Uh, I'm going to ask them if they have any questions of you real quick. Anybody got any questions for Brian? Oh boy. Well, I don't, I don't know if Andy or, Andy or Mike do, but uh, Brian, do you have your rally cap on? The Cubs need you, and I'm not there. Again, I, I mentioned this earlier. I, I like the fact that you're there, but yes, I am severely jealous of you being there at Wrigley Field on NASCAR night. That is awesome, Jay. You talked about all the things they're doing. That is great. It is, Ricky, it is can Yeah. Yeah, so Stenhouse, Nemechek, and um, Harrison Burton threw out a triple first pitch, and then they did a seventh inning stretch as well. Um, I didn't get a video of the first pitch. I think NASCAR has it on their account. I did post a video of kind of the seventh inning stretch. I feel like they did a good job. They didn't call it Wrigley Stadium like Gordon did that time he was here um, and, and kind of messed that up. So that was good. I thought they did a nice job. I know Harrison Burton was in market today, visiting a bunch of local hospitals with NASCAR people. Um, Stenhouse is doing an appearance at the Mariano's down here tomorrow. 
Um, and I know Noah Gregson is going to a couple Wendy's locations um, tomorrow as well. Um, so there's a good amount of, like, in, in-market activation with the drivers and things like that. And I'm sure there's other appearances that I don't even know about or haven't heard about, and I think that's just awesome. Um, and I, I know, honestly, ticket prices are, are kind of insane. Let's not, let's not, you know, let's not hide that fact. But I think the nice thing is it sounds like the, the fan zone and the merchandise stuff is actually going to be in, like, Butler Field in Chicago, which is outside the racetrack. So fans can come down and check out that all weekend long. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Andy's Frozen Custards, um, but they're going to have $2 ice cream and show cars at a bunch of locations um, tomorrow and tomorrow and all throughout the weekend, I believe, as well. Um, if you're a big Chase Elliott fan, he's coming to a Hooters out in the suburbs later in the day on Saturday. So there are opportunities for fans to go check out things. Um, I didn't get a chance to make it last night, but they did a huge um, block party for Bubba Wallace at the um, DuSable um, Black Museum of History, and I think that was a really awesome event. Bob Pockers was there, several several media members were there. It looked like it was a really cool event, and a lot of a lot of great stuff for fans there as well. So I do think they've done a nice job of trying to offer a lot of free events in the market as well for those fans that maybe can't afford those ticket prices and hopefully hook a few new fans and maybe they can come out to a race um, in the future as well. Okay, anybody else have questions? Well, Brian, I really, really appreciate you being here and uh, promoting the live blog. I'm looking forward to reading it over the weekend. And uh, you gave it, you've gave you already done so much. Uh, so uh, I'll try to get a recording of uh, your segment on the show, on the uh, live blog. Uh, but then Perfect. you can take it from there. How about that? Yeah, for sure. Now, Saturday I'm going to have a, a very cool, unique view of the race. Um, for sure. Hopefully again on Sunday as well, but definitely for Saturday, we'll have a pretty cool separate story that comes out of it as well as um, what I've been told, one of the best views of the track in all of Chicagoland, which I'm super, super awesome. excited about. So I'm um, re- really looking forward to the weekend and hopefully tomorrow I'll grab a few, um, a few videos of the haulers entering the track as well. I'm down here. So I think we'll have a, a really great weekend on tap. Hopefully the weather holds out. It doesn't get too nasty and we all have a great time. Okay, well, thanks a lot, uh, Brian, and uh, we'll kind of let you go now because I know you're still out there at the uh, ballpark, uh, Wrigley Field, you, and uh, enjoying that race. Maybe you can give them some mojo you, uh, good luck to turn it around. You could time this appearance better, Sharon. It was right after the seventh inning stretch, and now we're going into the bottom of the ninth, and the Cubs need two runs to tie and three to win. So put those rally caps on. I'll watch the end of the game, and I'll catch up on the end of the show tomorrow. Everyone have a great weekend. Hopefully um, our race picks all do all do well if we're placing any bets. Although I, I, I can't recommend betting on this weekend. I think it's such a wild card. But there are some, some good guys out there to follow for betting coverage. I'll retweet some of them over the weekend as well. Definitely always fun to get a little bit of skin in the game. And uh, let's have a good weekend. Okay, you too. And I believe. <laughs> Talk to all you right. later. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks again. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, uh, we'll get on with our hot topic sound off, uh, but that was a, I thought a pretty good flavor for what's going on, uh, surrounding the Chicago street race. I've been watching social media, uh, throughout the day and there is a lot of hype. Uh, one thing that they're doing very, very well is they are engaging the community in a lot of different ways and I think Brian brought that out as well. Uh, any thoughts uh, from any of the rest of you? Um, Andy, let's start with you. Yeah, it's obviously an exciting weekend um, coming up. This is something new. NASCAR's never done a street course before. Um, you know, so 
I, I think that there's a lot to look forward to with this weekend coming up. Um, you know, and who knows, you know, Brian brought up some good points, you know, who knows what the racing itself is going to be like, but um, I like the fact that NASCAR is trying something new and bold and it remains to be seen if it works or not, but I'll, I'll give them a lot of credit for this. And, and yeah, I mean, absolutely. The promotion has been really good either from NASCAR's end of things or, or from NBC. I think they've done a really good job. I mean, even just last weekend, uh, during the Nashville race, they were already starting to talk about it, and I think they had Parker Kligerman up there actually uh, broadcasting from Chicago during the Nashville race. So they've done a good job promoting it. You you can't say you didn't know it was coming um, with all the promotion that's taken place. If you if you say that, then you just plain haven't been paying attention because there's certainly been a lot of uh, promotion and a lot of hype for this weekend. So it uh, it's is, I'm interested to see how it goes. I really have no clue what to expect, to be perfectly honest, but I, I am looking forward to it. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? I really like what Brian was talking about with how NASCAR is engaging with the city of Chicago in a much broader way than just bringing a race to the town. We've talked a lot about how there is a lot of concern about the impact that the race is having, not only just the road closures, but the associated traffic problems, the logistics issues, the crowds, and and all the other hassles that the residents of the city of Chicago are having to go through. And then to hear about the ticket prices for the race itself was kind of concerning. So it's really, really good to hear that NASCAR and the teams are doing other things outside of the racetrack where fans get to experience, even if they don't see the race, they still get to experience NASCAR, see some of the drivers, see kind of what this sport is about, even if they don't end up going to the race itself. And hopefully that helps kind of, warm the citizens of Chicago up to NASCAR a little bit, because obviously there's been a lot of talk about, yes, they have a three-year contract. However, there, there are some, quite a few hurt feelings with Chicago city leadership in terms of how that contract came to be, and the certainty of those future two races is somewhat in doubt. So the mayor, Brandon Johnson, is also going to be at the NASCAR Cup Series race this weekend. They've announced that. So hopefully the, the outreach and the presence that NASCAR has within the city is, is showing the sport in a positive light and warming the people and the leadership of the city of Chicago up to the, uh, to the sport, and they'll be more welcoming to have us back again next year. If, they, uh, if this race is a success, great. If not, Sharon, like you said, it's going to be a learning opportunity, and they can put on a better race next year. But the first step here is to make sure that Chicago wants to have us back and the step to do that is to make the people of the city of Chicago enjoy having NASCAR there in the first place. And I think NASCAR is doing a great job. Okay. Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, I would have to echo that uh, uh, as far as it's not just about the race itself. The hiccups they've had, NASCAR is trying to engage the fans, though. And I know fans, uh, obviously, with the uh, if they're not race fans, probably aren't going to be real happy with it. But what it brings to the community as a whole. During our preview show, we talked about some of the locals that are involved in it, talking about all the different locations. And that goes from NASCAR through all the sponsors and the drivers that are making that commitment to be at all these different places and have all these different things going on at a variety variety of different levels. Um, So hopefully, like you said, the outcome is overall positive. The racing will have to wait and see. Um, and unfortunately, I guess can't even call it mother nature, but take away the whole issue of the Canadian wildfires, which there's concern about. I was up in Minnesota, had that same 
issue. Um, hopefully that doesn't put too much of a damper on it. Obviously that's one way, way outside of NASCAR's control. Well, and Brian mentioned it, uh, you know, even where I live, and in, in, I live down further, more central Illinois, and uh, I got to tell you, we're, we're experiencing those <laughs> smoke uh, issues from the Canadian wildfires, but there was a storm that came through today, and it went through Chicago as well, and uh, I think Brian said it earlier, it did kind of... Uh, uh, do some good as far as uh, minimizing the smoke that uh, we were experiencing from the Canadian wildfires. So I, I think that was a good thing, as much as I didn't like seeing the storm. Well, we needed this storm, really. We've been in a drought. But as much as I don't like storms, I like the idea that it's doing some good things uh, prior to this weekend. But Brian also mentioned that there, there could be some other rain uh, coming in over the weekend, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. That, that would put a real damper on things uh, if the rain comes through at some inopportune times. Hopefully it will be in the middle of the night when nobody is doing anything, but um, I'll tell you, they are doing so many great things. Uh, we mentioned a list of different artists, musicians, that are going to be at the uh, Grant Park and putting on concerts. By the way, those are free concerts. You do not have to have a ticket to go to those concerts. So I think that's one of the other things that NASCAR is doing that is so good uh, to engage the community uh, with what's happening with NASCAR. So... Um, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of an inconvenience for those that don't follow racing. Um, I'm, I even chose to watch it from home this year. I'll think about going next year, but uh, I think they're doing a lot of really great things, and I think we've outlined a lot of that. Uh, please engage in the uh, live blog that uh, Brian is doing this weekend, and uh, as he updates uh, his experience during this historic weekend in Chicago. So we'll end it with that uh, and go on to our NASCAR hot topics here. I know we spent a lot of time on this, but I do think it's an historic event, event and uh, it deserves that kind of recognition. So let's go ahead to our first hot topic. Mike, uh, we'll let you pick it out. Well, here's one that I don't think anyone really saw coming. Uh, Sheldon Creed uh, was penalized 25 points as well as a $25,000 fine because NASCAR has determined that he intentionally wrecked the number 18 of Sammy Smith at National Super Speedway this past weekend. I know I didn't see it. I, I, obviously, I saw the wreck. I didn't see that it was intentional. Even the booth, Dale Jr. and Jeff Burton didn't see anything like they thought it might have been intentional. I think everyone was kind of of the opinion that Sheldon just lost the nose, washed up the racetrack, and unfortunately, Sammy Smith just happened to be who was outside. But the rest of the story was NASCAR went back and reviewed the radio transmissions, and Creed said, quote, the number 18 is trying to get wrecked. I'm calm, but I mean this nicely. As he holds it on my door on entry like that again, I'm going to slow down and turn right, end quote. Sounds like Sheldon Creed may have learned the same lesson as Denny Hamlin and uh, – um, uh, oh, who else said something on the radio that was really down? I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. But uh, he, he just learned a hard lesson about if you're going to do crimes, don't talk about it on the radio because now Sheldon Creed is 25 points and $25,000 poorer. 
Okay. Andy, your thoughts? This was a really intriguing scenario for sure. Um, When this happened in the race on Saturday, I would never have thought that this was intentional. It looked like, just like Mike said, that he he got loose underneath the car, washed up, and, and got into the 18, causing him to spin and subsequently crash. Never looked intentional, never would have thought it was intentional. It looked like a racing incident. Um, but then, you know, to fi- evidently NASCAR, for whatever reason, must have thought that there was a reason to go back and analyze the radio. And when they did so, it was interesting that not only did he say that he was going to wreck the 18, but he literally spelled out exactly how he was going to do it and then proceeded to do exactly that. So not very smart if you're looking to not get caught when you want to wreck somebody intentionally. So um, NASCAR, you know, did the right thing. They penalized him because, you know, he he was – he. He literally spelled it out on the radio what he was going to do. Like, it, <laughs> evidently, you know, hasn't taken notice of what's happened to Hamlin, and um, I forget who else. There's been others, but you know, you can't you can't say that you're going to do something and then do it, you know, without getting penalized for it. So I think that NASCAR was put in the position of having to penalize Sheldon Creed. They really gave him a slap on the wrist. Um, when when you've we've seen some other intentional situations where drivers have been suspended, granted right hooking somebody is certainly more severe than what took place on Saturday. But I think he got a a points and a and a monetary penalty. I don't even think anyone got suspended from it. So really a slap on the wrist. Hopefully he learns from it and learns that if he's going to wreck somebody, don't say it over the radio. And furthermore, don't explicitly give the details over the radio. So. Hopefully he learns something from it, and uh, he'll be smarter moving forward. Jay, your thoughts? Well, I feel like some of our fears were coming true when we talk about other series having the stewards that are watching anytime any contact is made. I get what Sheldon said over the radio initially. He was mad. Okay, but if you are mad and express that, Does that mean for the rest of that race or the next week, if you touch that other car, whoever it was, in any way, shape, or form, you're going to be penalized? And and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say he was innocent or guilty of actually doing it intentionally. My point being, at the moment he was mad, what if he did just happen to lose the nose of the car and got out of control and Smith happened to be to his outside when it happened? He's already, I guess, uh, what, uh, convicted himself or whatever by having expressed that frustration. So, like I said, of driver Kyle Busch, and I'm going to take Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, just for fun. This week, Kyle says, I'm mad. I'm going to wreck him. It may not be this week. Well, next week they get in an accident. Does that mean he needs to be penalized? And I think NASCAR realizes this, the fact that it wasn't a suspension. It was the points penalty of 25 points and a monetary, as Andy pointed out. So I think they realized that that it wasn't necessarily 100% intentional, but there was enough questionable evidence there, the fact that he said he was mad and was going to do it. So when it does happen, whether it be intentional or accident, they kind of got put in a box. Um, and I don't like that because I don't want the drivers, you know, a lot of people pay for those scanners to listen to these drivers and, you know, they express their frustration about anything, whether it be, 
uh, another driver, the way the car is handling their crew chief, you know, I don't want to see that go away. Um, I understand in a couple of situations we've had with Chase Elliott and Bubba Wallace, there was an intentional direct turning. It happened to be the right hook as we talk about sending them into the wall. I, I fully understand NASCAR has to say, hey, that can't happen. But I also don't want to see them take away the racing hard and in possibly the case of Sheldon Creed, then just happened to lose the car and wreck taking out a guy who he was mad at. Um, so I, I think there's a fine line there. Uh, you know, Sharon likes to use the word slippery slope. And I think NASCAR already realizes, like I said, the fact that it wasn't a suspension, it was a points penalty. Yeah, this is a slippery slope for a lot of reasons. But I will say um, they also, let's not forget that they have uh, some stats that they can look at, that telemetry or I forget what they call it now, uh, the thing that Denny Hamlin talked about. Um, the SM, they, they SMT data. That, SMT data. They have that SMT data that can back them up as well as the fact that he said right there uh, exactly what he was going to do. And he was actually told by his team, uh, if you do it, you're going to get busted. I'm saying it nicely. But, yeah, they they told him, and they knew that he was going to get busted if it happened. Um, But he did it anyway. So... I don't think there's um, – yeah, you're really good at giving benefit of the doubt, uh, Jay, but I, I think this one is pretty clear uh, that he did exactly what he said he was going to do. And I thought we had learned that lesson before, that you don't admit to these kind of things, and yet here they did it. It almost reminds me of when Denny – not Denny, but um, – Chad Knauss, uh put his head in the window and told Jimmy Johnson to bust up the rear end of the car if he wins, um, <laughs> not knowing that that conversation was being recorded. But, um, you know, you just don't – you you just got to be careful what you say. And uh, Denny Hamlin heard it, learned it the hard way. Uh, now it's Sheldon Creed's turn to learn it the hard way. Um, and I think NASCAR, um, with the points penalty and with the monetary fine, uh, they're letting them know, you're putting me, you're forcing us into this situation of having to deal with it because you guys said it. Had he not said that on the radio, nothing would have come of it because nobody would have looked at it and thought that there was anything intentional going on there. Um, But it is a slippery slope, and NASCAR is in a very tough position. But thankfully, they do have the data information that they can look at uh, if they have another situation that happens like this. Um, Hopefully, there won't be any more situations like this, but um, hopefully a lot of people learned from it. But um, uh, I, I do think it's, it's a, a little bit of a slippery slope. But I think so far NASCAR has used the information that they have and made the right decisions on a lot of these things. So, Mike, what are your thoughts? Andy kind of brought up a good point. It's kind of weird. Like, what got them looking at this in the first place? Even Sammy Smith himself during his uh, interview at the Infield Care Center after he was released, he seemed to think that it was just a racing incident as well. We remember Denny Hamlin came out very hot. He knew that he had gotten intentionally wrecked 
and he immediately was calling for action against Chase Elliott. That wasn't the case here. So if Sammy Smith didn't even think he was the one who was intentionally wrecked, I, I don't know. I'm wondering, like, somebody just caught that traffic on the scanner and just happened to line that up with, hey, he said this before, and then he did this on the racetrack. Let's take a look at the SMT data. I don't, I'm not sure because I don't think that they're doing a, a, the, the steward deal where they're looking at literally every little bit of contact anymore. I don't think that's going on. If it, if it is, they certainly haven't announced it. So I don't know that, J, that Jay's fears that they're, they're intentionally looking at every little bit of contact. I don't think that's taking place right now, but I can't say that with any sort of authority. It's just an interesting thing, but I think the moral of the story here is, like you said, don't call your shot. I mean, that's Babe Ruth pointing at the fence right there. If, you, if you're gonna if you're gonna brag about you're gonna wreck somebody, at least don't describe how you're gonna do it. Say I'm, I'm gonna right rear this guy. I'm gonna send him right into the fence. Yeah, I'm gonna send him over the fence, and then make it look like you washed up the racetrack and take him out because then you can play it off as it was a racing incident. Yeah, I was hot on the radio, but I just lost the car. I didn't mean to wreck him. I said I was gonna right rear him, but I never did it. I mean, that's kind of the way you don't have to play it anymore because, like you said, Sharon, everybody's listening. Yeah, I gotta interrupt. To make my announcement, I'm I'm sorry, but I'll give you a chance to finish up. For our first-time listeners, I do want to make an announcement here that we are going to go out there at exactly 10:30 p.m. Eastern time, but we are going to continue recording our conversation, and that part of the conversation will be part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. So I'll go out on Twitter and Facebook and let you know when that podcast is available. And anytime at your convenience, you can go to our player at com and just fast forward to the two-hour mark and hear the rest of the conversation. So we're available on a lot of outlets, including TuneIn and iTunes and iHeartRadio. So, you know, however you choose to listen to us, uh, just go to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Okay, with that, Mike, go ahead and finish up. I was just about wrapped up there. Yeah, I was saying, uh, like you said, Sharon, if you're going to uh, do something, just understand that there is data out there, the the SMT data on your car that can tattletale on you, as well as many, many years listening to the radio at any given time. So you're going to get caught. Like like the team warned them, they're going to bust you for it, and they did. Okay. Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, just to, to speak about, you know, the radio communications, obviously that was the incriminating piece here. Um, yeah, I think what's interesting is that NASCAR, um, you know, still has radio technology, which is easily scannable by um, not just fans or, you know, journalists in the media, but also NASCAR, the sanctioning body, and I think, you know, the reason that the radio technology is what it is is so that they can monitor each team and they can determine if there's any nefarious transmissions or activity. We all remember um, the whole Michael Waltrip racing scandal from 10 years ago. Um, that's what got digital radios banned on the spotter stand, and that's why spotters can't have those types of radios. Um, there is private communications in the pits, but everything else that pertains to what the driver says, anything to and from the car is all on these analog channels that are scannable by everybody, that anyone with a scanner, really. And, and that's what's so interesting about it is, you know, drivers and teams may say something incriminating that 
ultimately gets them in trouble that otherwise wouldn't have. I mean, like I said the first time through, this was an incident that didn't scream blatant to me. It looked like a normal racing incident where Sheldon Creed got loose. But, you know, for him to effectively give the play-by-play of what he was going to do and then subsequently do it, um, to have that said over the radio is what did him in. Um, You know, and, and one of the things that does make racing unique, though, is that we have that ability to to hear what drivers and some of the team members say in the heat of the battle. Most professional sports, you don't get that ability. And um, I suppose the downside of that is when they say what's on their mind in the heat of the moment, it can get them in trouble sometimes. But it's just interesting how, you know, radio communications is ultimately what did him in for this penalty. Okay, Jay. Well, and, and you guys actually brought up a, a couple of things to, to back up my statement of I don't know that it was necessarily intentional or giving benefit of the doubt. First off, the fact that NASCAR didn't suspend Sheldon Creed, merely penalized him. Uh, the second would be, Mike mentioned Sammy Smith's um, post-accident uh, interview of, hey, we were racing hard. You know, from his perspective, it looks like Sheldon got loose under me. He wasn't happy about it necessarily, obviously but didn't feel like he had been intentionally wrecked. So there again, of you know, and heat a moment. I mean, how many of us have said, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Do we ever do it? No. In this case, then maybe maybe Creed did say, Hey, I'm not going to lift and get checked up and give him any room. And it cost him his car. And with that actually did create what he said he was going to do, but he didn't have the intention of it necessarily. And I think NASCAR knows that, and I say that's why there wasn't a suspension. It was just a penalty. And that's where I, I, I just don't want to see it go down that road of that of a driver can't say whatever they're expressing. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I think about a, a, a football player, and I know they've changed their technology where you have certain players mic'd up, but a player says, I'm going to go and knock this dude's head off. I'm going to knock him out. You don't really go out with that intention normally. Uh, I'm not saying it hasn't ever happened. Okay, you're just expressing that frustration. If it happens to happen later down where you do knock the guy out, you know, is that really then you did it intentionally? Not necessarily. And, and like I said, I'm not saying whether Creed is the only one that can say outright whether or not he did. I just think this is a case of he was mad, he expressed it, and then it accidentally did happen. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, and and that's the key there. <laughs> he said he was going to do it, and then it happened subsequently. It wasn't a, a separate race. It wasn't. It happened right after he said it. So somebody, uh, Mike's comment was, "How in the world did NASCAR this come to NASCAR's attention, and why were they looking at it?" Uh, and I agree with the comments that were made. That, uh, and I think you said it, Andy. Uh, everybody can listen to these radios. So, uh, and and even the TV uh, will will do radioactive, and it's all radio communications. Maybe when they were preparing the radioactive pieces, although that's usually done on Fox, um, then uh, maybe they found it at that point. But somebody heard it. And somebody went to NASCAR and said he said he was going to do it, and then he did it. Uh, we don't know who. We don't know if it was on social media. We don't know how it was brought to NASCAR's attention, but somebody brought this to NASCAR's attention, and they 
and it might have been themselves. They might have found it and uh, looked up the SMT data and decided that this was more than uh, meets the eye, and that's why they did penalize them. Um, <clears throat> Jay's right that, that, that somebody might say something in the heat of the moment and not really follow through on it, uh, but in this case, there was a follow-through on exactly what he said he was going to do. And that's where I think uh, NASCAR had the means uh, by which to uh, assess a penalty here, is that he did exactly what he said he was going to do. So, Mike, you get the final word on this, and uh, we'll take it from there. I'm going to get a little technical here, uh, so try and, try and bear with me. Uh, I will caveat, I have not personally seen any of the SMT data myself, and obviously I wasn't part of any kind of the decision uh, as to whether or not Sheldon Creed should be penalized here. However, there are two pieces of data that would very clearly indicate that this was intentional, the G-force loading on the car and the steering wheel input. When a race car goes through a corner, any corner, any race car, it has a lateral G-force. There's a... Think of an arrow pointing towards the right on the race car. The race car wants to go to the right. Uh, the, the driver is steering it to the left. With that, you have that force pushing the race car to the right. That's why we see when cars break loose, they move out to the right. If they lose a, t a tire, anything, they move towards their right in turn because of that lateral force that's pushing the car out there. If the, uh, if the car loses grip, that G-force number will drop. If it's 2Gs, 2.0, uh, if the car loses grip, that G-force number will drop, 1.5, 1.0, something, something along those lines. And then the driver will put a steering wheel input in after the G-force drops because he feels that change in uh, where the car is trying to go, and he's trying to correct for that. If Sheldon Creed, if his G-forces were relatively the same, and then the steering wheel input happened, and then the G-force changed after the steering wheel input, that indicates that the motion of the car was an intentional move by the driver and not an unintentional loss of grip. And I'm willing to bet that's what NASCAR saw in the S&T data when they went back and analyzed it, and that's how they know without, Jay, you know without a benefit of the doubt, there's no benefit of the doubt necessary, you can look at the hard data and figure out that, no, this car did not lose grip, it moved to the right intentionally because of a steering wheel input of the driver. And I'm pretty sure that's what they saw, and that's how they came to the conclusion that, yes, this was an intentional move by Sheldon Creed. It may have been cleverly disguised to look at, by an outside observer to look like an unintentional loss of control, but the data indicates that, no, this was intentional. It was the result of a steering wheel input by the driver. So that's what I think NASCAR probably looked at in making that decision. With that said, I don't want to see them go and, and, be, and in, implement that steward system like Jay was talking about. I agree. There is a potential for a slippery slope here where a steward system can take away from some of the action that we see on the racetrack. It's a careful balance. We talk about balance a lot. I like hard racing. I like contact racing sometimes. I don't like seeing race cars being intentionally used as a weapon to wreck other competitors, and I think that's where the line needs to be. And based on the data that NASCAR apparently analyzed and based on the radio traffic that backed that up, it appears that Sheldon Creed stepped over that line from hard racing into using his race car as a weapon to take out a fellow competitor, and I think the penalty was justified because of that. Okay. Andy, you get to bring up our next hot topic. Yeah, um, this one – 
thought to be a bit interesting, uh, Frankie Muniz, who, of course, drives in the Arca Menard series in his rookie season, uh, is already expressing interest of possibly trying to move up to either truck or Xfinity for 2024. Okay, Jay. Well, what what driver doesn't? I mean, you know, I mean, that's why you're out there racing um, for the most part. I, I know there's a few that are content with the levels they are at, but most people are driven. And I think he is one. He has shown the capability already this year in his first full-time year that he has the capability. Um, I think this might be one of those. He knows what it's going to cost. So going ahead and getting that word out there and getting some people's eyes on him to see what he's doing on the track, make some partnerships, whether it be uh, single starts or a package deal. Again, maybe not full-time already next year, but just getting that ball rolling. I mean, that's what it's all about is taking that next step. If that's your drive. So, um, from what we've seen in the, in the Arkham and Ard series, when, when we talk about it, he is showing he can be a contender week in and week out. Um, so I think, I think it's a good look, uh, and hopefully he does put together, like I said, maybe a package deal of five to ten races and start at least seeing what his capability is in the truck series or the Xfinity series level because we've seen it on the track of what it is in the Arkham and Ard series. Okay, Mike. The uh, the thing about Frankie, right, is it's interesting because he's done very well in the ARCA series for for the opportunities. The thing about him is we talk about he needs to find funding. It's weird because he's an actor, and we think about, oh, well, he's probably got all this money. Apparently, either his acting career wasn't that lucrative or he just doesn't want to burn it all on racing. I'm not sure whatever it is. Either way, I kind of agree with him. I, I would want to get out of ARCA as quick as I could. Uh, in my opinion, ARCA is kind of a dead end these days. Uh, Greg Van Alst has even said that winning Daytona in the ARCA series did not cover his expenses to go to the racetrack and compete in that race, which tells me that ARCA is a bit of a financial dead end for teams, and I can understand wanting to get out of that series as quickly as possible. With regard to Frankie's driving style, I know the, the financial question is a big one here, but if he could, I think he would be much, much better suited in the Xfinity series versus the truck series. The driving that I've seen from Frankie this, uh, thus far this year in the ARCA series is he is a conservative, respectful, uh, patient driver. He takes the opportunities that are presented to him. He doesn't force things that shouldn't be forced, and he does, just tends to run a very clean, uh, disciplined race. I think that, suit, that driving style is much more suited to the Xfinity series versus what's currently going on in the truck series where there are – quite a few very reckless drivers um, in the truck series. And I think Frankie would struggle there because of his driving style. I think he would be on the receiving end a lot more than he's on the giving end. So therefore I think the Xfinity series would be a better fit for him. Whether he's able to make that work in terms of finding a team, finding the funding or not, I really hope he can. I know he's got the hair club sponsorship for the ARC uh, series. I'm not sure how much of that would be able to transfer to a different series. If they would be willing to follow him and how much they'd be willing to put up. Uh, we talked about how ARC is expensive, but it's nothing compared to the Xfinity series. You're looking at probably five to eight million dollars a year for an Xfinity series entry on the low end. So that's a lot of money to put up there. I don't know that Frankie can can secure the sponsorship to cover it, but I really hope that he can because I do like the guy. I, I like him as a race car driver. I think, he, like I said, that that 
disciplined, mature racing style is, I hate to say, it's refreshing to see these days in the Arca Series. And I think we should see more of it. Unfortunately, we haven't over the past few years. I think Frankie Muniz moving up into one of the higher tier series would be a benefit to the sport as a whole. Okay, yeah, I I agree uh, with a lot of what you said there, Mike uh, and Jay. I I do think another factor, though, that needs to be taken into consideration is that he's already 37 years old. A lot of drivers are thinking about retirement when they get into their 40s. Uh, So his time frame here is rather limited, and that's why I think you see him kind of opening this door as quickly as he is. Uh, He he was second in the series uh, point standings in the ARCA series uh, for quite a while. I think he's still second in the in the point standing. So you're right. He's kind of proven that he can be a good driver and uh, do well. And I think he should be get that opportunity uh, to advance into the Xfinity or the Truck Series. And, and I like the idea of the Xfinity Series for Frankie Munoz uh, because he is 37 years old. Uh, if I were him, I wouldn't waste my time in the Truck Series. I'd go directly to Xfinity Series and to look for that opportunity to get into the Cup Series. I like his quote, though. He says, maybe they don't see me as a threat yet, but I'm coming. And he said it with a Google, or with a giggle, and he said, this isn't a fluke. So um, he's serious about what he's doing out there on the racetrack, and he's serious about making those moves uh, as quickly as he can. Uh, for the very reason that he is 37 years of age. Uh, so I'd like to see him get that opportunity to move up, as you guys have said, and uh, I think I think he will get that opportunity. I, I'd love to see it. Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree, uh, Sharon. You know, it would be fantastic to see him get the chance to move up. Um, you know, I... I have a little bit different view than the rest of you though, from the standpoint of, I would be nervous to move him up too quickly. Uh, this is his rookie season in the Arkham Menard series. I think he's done a, a good job. There's no doubt about that. He's been competitive. Um, he's been a top 10 contender. I believe just about every race His finishes may not necessarily show it, but he's, he's run good races. He's been fairly competitive, but, um, you know, he hasn't really put himself in position to win. And I think that, you know, in order for someone to move up and and get themselves into the trucker Xfinity series, you probably should be able to win a couple ARCA races, you know, so maybe he'll do that later this season. And if so, I would probably have a little bit different opinion of him moving up. Obviously, um, you know, when you look at the competition level in the Arkham Menard series, I, I think if you're going to be successful in subsequent divisions that are more difficult, like Trucker Xfinity, you got to be able to win in Arca. So if he can do that, and I think he's capable of it, I, I, I would feel a lot better about him moving up. Um, you know, this is being his rookie season. This is, um, you know, a situation where he's seeing a lot of these racetracks for the first time, he's dealing with a lot of these situations for the first time, and he may not encounter um, a lot of the same stuff in a rookie ARCA season that he may encounter in Trucker Xfinity. 
So in my opinion, it wouldn't be a bad idea for him to run another year at ARCA. I'm not saying he should run five seasons in the ARCA Menard series, but you know, this is the kind of guy that could learn a lot in his rookie season that he could apply to another year in ARCA and he and like the series on fire and, and win a bunch of races and contend for a championship, you know, and then, then I think he would get the attention of team owners that could, you know, possibly either put together a deal for him based on his talent, or it would per- perhaps attract attention from sponsors who are able to fund his efforts and allow him to move forward. Um, I hope he gets the chance to move up. I think he's got a really cool personality and a really cool attitude about racing. Um, always positive, always has a smile on his face. He's really excited and enthusiastic about what he's doing, and I love that. I think it's fantastic. Um, I just would be a bit nervous about jumping the gun too quickly and moving up. We've seen what that's done to other people over the years and how it can quickly destroy a career. Um, if you move up too quickly and you don't perform well. So that's my only concern. But, you know, again, there's a lot of racing left this season and and maybe things continue to improve where he does win some races and and does put himself in position, um, you know, to to move up and and do so to where he'll be competitive when he does move up. So we'll see what happens. But um, obviously he's on the right trajectory and and hopefully um, when he does get that chance to, to, to get a trucker extended the opportunity, um, he's successful at it. Some good points there, Andy. What are your thoughts, Jay? Well, there, there's two sides to it, uh, I think, that have been touched upon. One, I think Sharon's one that brought it up of his age of 37. He doesn't exactly have the time to really put in five years, you know, two years here, two years there um, to get that. We've seen that with Josh Berry, even at age 31, was a struggle. Um, you really got to show the talent, but there are some teams out there that recognize that talent when, and I hear Dave Moody talk about this all the time. And if you're, uh, I think it was Mike, if you're not winning at this series, you're at the level you're at, there's no point in moving up. Okay. But Jimmy Johnson won one Xfinity series race. He won seven NASCAR championships. I don't have the stat book open. I believe Jeff Gordon only won one race prior to moving to the cup series. I know we went back and won another one with Ray Abraham, but I believe he only had one or minimal, but the talent was there and it was recognized. You look at some of the, some of the drivers that just that car or whatever suits them differently. Now with that, we know it's a jump when you go from Arkham and to Xfinity, but again, he doesn't have that same time window. Everybody else has, um, Mike brought up, man, it's a heartbreaking story. I know Sharon's got the same feeling. We've had him on, Greg Van Alls. I don't know, other than the Cup Series Daytona 500, even that, I know some teams talk about that, of, of finishing, getting a starting spot in the Daytona 500 and finishing decently can help carry them through a season. I don't know of any other series where one race win is going to carry you through a season. You know, uh, that's the world we've come into with sponsorship um, and what it costs to put a competitive car on the track week in and week out. Um, so, uh, you know, that's just a heartbreak story for uh, Greg Van Alls um, with that. But like I said, I think the Daytona 500, even that, I don't know. Obviously, winning the Daytona 500 money-wise would not carry you through a season. 
it does in this case because it puts you into the playoffs, uh, you know, and gives you the rest of the season to do what you need to do to get ready. Um, so it's a little bit different story. But other than that, no one win is going to carry you through a season. And I understand that it's a point of the lack of experience and situations overall, uh, and it can hurt you if you move up too quickly. I get that. But, again, you're going back and looking at drivers that are looking to go 20, 30 years with their career. He is uh, – Frankie Munoz is not in that position um, – to, to wait that long, you know. So, I mean, he's got to, just like some of these Formula One drivers that we've seen that are crossing over, they're going to have to take the one starts where they can get it here and now and perform and get in now because that window for them is closing rapidly. Mike, do you follow up? This isn't the system that existed 15, 20 years ago where it was a, you know, a big fish, a small fish growing up in a series of ever increasing sized ponds. It used to be you would start out in the Arca series, which was a relatively small pond. You would grow into being a big fish in that pond and you would move into the trucks and you'd be a small fish there and you'd eat more fish and you'd get bigger and you'd grow up and you'd grow into the Xfinity series and eventually to the cup series. That progression is broken. It's been broken for several years. There are, very few talent lines that are hard and defined between the ARCA series all the way up to the Xfinity series. There's a hard line at the Cup series. The Cup series is a completely different game in terms of skill and talent of the drivers on the racetrack. But I would venture to say that the the major deciding factor for what series a certain driver is running is money. Far more than talent, it's the money that they bring to the table. It doesn't matter how good of a driver you are if you don't bring the money to the table, you're not getting out of ARCA. Versus if you bring a big check to the table, you can be terrible and you can be running an Xfinity Series car. You might even be able to buy yourself a few cup starts. So this idea that you have to start an ARCA and you have to be successful in ARCA in order to qualify to move up to the truck series and then only the truck series, you can't move to Xfinity yet. You have to be successful in the truck series and then you have to move up to the Xfinity series. I don't think that's valid anymore. Uh, Carson Hosevar, we, we talked about, I think Chris Rice was talking about, where the Xfinity series and the truck series are almost interchangeable in terms of driver development, what a driver can get out of one of those series in terms of honing their skill set. So this idea that Frankie Muniz must stay in ARC until he's successful, I don't know that that's necessarily valid. I think with the, the right team, the right sponsorship, the right support behind him, he can develop just as well in the Xfinity series as he could in the ARCA series, maybe even more so because of the level of competition and the support that is at the Xfinity level versus the ARCA level. You get that national exposure to help bring in sponsorship. Remember, he has the advantage of being – he wasn't an A-list celebrity, but he does have some name recognition. He's got some, some other factors to him other than what he does on the racetrack that could potentially attract sponsorship. He's got the charisma. He's got the, the screen presence that can attract sponsorship. but the ARCA series does not have the reach and exposure for him to capitalize on that, at least not to the extent that he possibly could. The Xfinity series may give him that opportunity to capitalize on some of the strengths that he has off the racetrack in order to secure the funding and support that he needs to showcase his skill set and develop what he has on the racetrack. So I think that's really where we're at right now with Frankie Muniz. I hope he's able to get a ride in the Trucker Xfinity series as soon as next year. Do I think he's ready and he's going to be a champion in those series? No. 
Uh, I don't not to not to take anything away from him. Don't 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 read that into what I'm saying. But I think he has the the ability to be successful wherever he ends up at if he has the the support and the funding behind him in order to make it happen. And I really hope he's able to secure that. Okay. Yeah. And keep in mind, this is a lifelong dream for Frankie Munoz. Uh, he says that this isn't a fluke. <laughs> uh, this is something that he's dreamed about doing for a long, long time, and acting kind of got in the way, if you will. Uh, and, and I'm just going to quote him again here. He says, I know it's a very lofty goal for me to set, but I want to race in the Cup Series. I'm pretty sure every driver probably says that, but I really do. I'm 37 years old, and I'm getting into the sport of stock car racing. I certainly plan on moving up, and the plan is to move up to Xfinity or the Truck Series next year. Now, that's a man with a plan, and he has a very specific plan in mind. One thing that I think he has on his side is exactly what you guys mentioned a little bit earlier, and that is that he's taking care of his car. He's not being foolish behind the wheel. He's uh, being respectful on the track, and that goes a long way. A lot of these owners don't want a driver that's going to go out there and wreck the car all the time. Uh, and Frankie Munoz has proven he knows how to take care of his equipment. That means a lot to a team owner. Um, the money that he brings doesn't hurt him. <laughs> uh, that's going to help him in that endeavor as well. Uh, but I do think his age does not afford him the opportunity to give it a couple of years uh, and to be able to move up. His plan is to move up next year to truck search the Xfinity Series. Will it happen? I don't know. Uh, I think that he knows enough about marketing himself uh, to make that happen, but time is going to tell the rest of the story. I think he deserves to get that opportunity uh, because he has done a good job uh, in the Arkham and Art Series. Uh, being in second place, and he's had a couple of races uh, that didn't go so well, uh, but he handled those. You guys are right. He's he's always got a smile on his face. He's always uh, pleasant to be around. Those are things that are going to take him a long way, and in um, in pursuing his dream. And uh, he knows how to market himself. He kind of reminds me of Carl Edwards. Uh, a little bit. Carl Edwards came into the sport a little bit late, and he walked around the garage and handed people a card that says, I'm a driver looking for uh, a team. So this is Frankie Munoz, in essence, doing the same thing. I'm a driver, and I want to be in the Xfinity Series or the Truck Series next year. And he's making that well-known, and he's that he's looking for a ride and and he he points it out himself. He's 37 years old. Uh, he doesn't have the time that these other younger drivers have. And but he has a dream that he wants to be realized. So we'll see what happens. I think Andy, you brought up some really good points, but I, I do think that that time just isn't going to afford him that. So what are your final words on it, <laughs> Andy? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to really disagree with what's been said. You know, I, I would agree that at 37 years old, you know, he does have to find a way to make his way toward the Cup Series. I guess, you know, my only 
counter remark would be, you know, he'll find himself out of NASCAR, you know, within a couple three years if he doesn't perform. So that's the only um, problem with moving up too early. And we've seen that, I think back using um, Casey Atwood as an example, you know, he moved up too quickly to the cup series back in 2001 and he got pushed out so fast that, you know, a lot of people probably don't even know who he is unless you watched racing 20 something years ago. And there's other prime examples too. So that would be my only concern. Um, I think it's great to have the goal of moving up. Certainly. Um, We just have to hope that he would do well. Now, that being said, um, money talks, right? And we all know that the Xfinity series is a pay to play playground. Um, That's kind of what it's turned into. And obviously money, outweighs talent you know so if he can come up with the funding to run a full or partial schedule that's going to get him a ride and i i hope that you know and i think that you know he has a as i said earlier a fantastic attitude and, and the willingness to learn i think he's done a good job in the arca series this year so i think the ability is there to get successful in an xfinity car at some point so I guess my hope would be that if he can get the funding to do this next year, hopefully hopefully it's with a really good team. I hope that he could get with a, a Gibbs or, you know, somebody along the, Gibbs or a junior motorsport, Stuart Haas, somebody along those lines that could give him a good car and a good team that would help develop him. And I think that would make up for any shortcomings he might have. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens, but it, it'll be fun to see where he winds up. Okay, we'll let that be the last word, and we'll start our roundtable. Jay, we'll start off with you. Well, uh, unfortunately, my race plans for this weekend changed. We're talking about the Chicago Street Race. I'm going to be listening to it on Sirius XM Radio, traveling back and forth to Texas. Uh, I said my race plans got canceled, but it kind of works out. i got a friend retiring from the Air Force after 30 years, so congratulations to Chief Billy Davis. I'm going to go down to his retirement ceremony and enjoy the weekend in Texas, if that's possible. It's, I heard it's hot down there. Sharon, is it hot down there? It can be this time of year. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, uh, But you can follow me, MoparMJ8, on Twitter and Instagram, Michael Hoosman on Facebook. And like I said, I'll be listening on uh, SiriusXM, though, for the Chicago Street Race uh for this inaugural event um hopefully it all goes well Uh, again we'll have to take it for what it is for this year all the circumstances and whatnot but look forward to what it can be built upon okay mike you mean mike underscore is on twitter mike double underscore o on reddit i've got big plans for the weekend i'm going to be sitting on the couch watching racing and it feels like it's been a long time since i've just been able to sit around and watch the races live, and I really hope I will talk to my buddy Andy Lasky while I'm doing it. <laughs> okay, Andy, what are your plans? Well, I I hate to say it, but I can't watch anything live this weekend with it being the holiday weekend. I've already got some stuff planned, which doesn't include watching things live, unfortunately. So that being said, I'm pretty excited about the Chicago street course. I will be recording everything, watching it probably sometime early next week. So um, looking forward to it. You know, maybe, maybe I'll get a window of opportunity to watch at least one of the races, but um, 
I always like watching them live, so it's a little disappointing that I'm currently not going to be able to do it. But um, that's the nature of a holiday weekend with family and friends and all that good stuff. But um, CB14 fan on Twitter, uh, always good to be on the show and uh, looking forward to um, the unknown of this weekend. Okay, and I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere. And um, uh, I do speak on behalf of all of us, I think, when I say that we want to send our condolences uh, to Jimmy Johnson and his family and the uh, tragedy that they are dealing with this week. Our hearts are uh, and sympathies are with them and uh, as they work through a very difficult situation. Um, and uh, that's all that I think we want to say about that, but uh, I did want to bring it up that we are thinking about them during this difficult time. Also, um, I lost my father-in-law this uh, past week as well, and uh, I want to do a shout-out to him. Um, his, the funeral and everything took place today with the wake yesterday, and uh, uh my, I've got a grandson that's named after him, so um, we've had kind of a rough week here as well. But uh, he had a life well lived, and uh, he's moved on to better things at this point. And uh, it sounds like there was a real celebration of his life uh, this week, so uh, I'm happy for that. Um with regard to um, our programming note, we are not doing a show the early part of next week because of the holiday, July 4th, but we will be doing um, the uh, preview and review show together on Thursday of next week, so stay tuned for that. That will be on July the 6th. Uh, so definitely uh, keep an eye on that for next week uh, and enjoy your holiday weekend. Uh, we want everybody to be safe, so be careful out there uh, as you celebrate with your families uh, the July 4th uh, celebrations. So I, too, am looking forward to the Chicago Street Races that are taking place this weekend, and uh, I'm excited about the live blog. Uh, Brian came to me with the idea. And with this being really a very historic event uh, that's taking place within NASCAR, uh, I thought it was a really good idea. So uh, we've kind of got the blog up there. Just watch for us to be uh, posting updates uh, throughout the weekend and um, keeping an eye on what's happening at Chicagoland, in the Chicagoland area, uh, but basically downtown Chicago this weekend. So with that, uh, we're thankful for everybody who is tuning in. I'm thankful for our Fan for Racing crew, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, the weekend and being back on air next Thursday. So with that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap, guys. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. We'll see you on the other side. Enjoy your holiday weekend.
This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.